This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 238. And this week I am very pleased to be joined by a returning guest. Hello, Chris. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming on again. How are you doing? Good. Good enough. You know, there's a lot of pro wrestling. There's a lot of things happening in the world. So uh, we're doing all right. Things happen in the world. I don't even know what's going on <laughs> in the world. I have no idea, honestly. Listen, uh, you're better <laughs> off for not knowing. Um, you know, it is. Uh, we're rapidly approaching the holiday season. Thanksgiving mm-hmm. is coming. You know, all the all the stuff, all the stuff that stresses me out because I have to see people I see once a year, and you know, things of the oh, sort. Yeah. I feel like I have not talked to uh, the people in a long time now. This was the first episode, you know, with like a two weeks. Since it, it's the first time we've gone two weeks on an episode, it's the easiest way to say it, probably. Since you know we discontinued the Patreon a couple of weeks ago, or you know uh, temporarily discontinued it, or whatever I said, put it on pause. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll probably go back to it eventually. I shouldn't get into all that again. The point is, though, I, I got used to speaking to at least the patrons, like I don't know, like three fucking times a week or something. <laughs> and you know, most people like at least once a week. Um, you know, when we were doing the, the Patreon episode, Patreon full episode, and then the, uh, you know, the free episode on and off. And now I just stuck to a every two weeks, you know, free episode. And I feel like, wow, so much has happened since the last time I spoke to anybody. I got my COVID booster shot. Uh, it fucked, it fucked me up really bad. Honestly. Not that I'm trying to tell anybody not to get yours. You should. It's worth it. But man, I was that shot was so much worse for me than either of the first two. I was like, I felt like I had COVID on that fucking Wednesday after I got it on Tuesday. I mean, I had the fever. I f- just felt like absolute shit. And then it didn't get that much better Thursday. It finally got better last Friday. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's worth it. I mean, it seems like it, you know, really gets your uh, immune system revved up and ready to fight this stupid virus if you come in contact with it but man it sucked for two days there at least so that wasn't a great deal of fun uh but other than that i guess i've been watching a lot of hockey you know a uh, bit of wrestling i did watch you know besides the two shows we're talking about today 
I watched the first night at the best of super juniors today, which was, you know, we're not going to do a full review or anything. It was fine. It wasn't like anything super special. I thought there were a lot of surprises on that show. Weren't there? Uh, like what? Like the winners? Yeah. The, yeah. The... I feel like they always do that. Yeah. I mean, they do. Yeah. But I don't know. I maybe, sh- you know, yeah. Yeah. I felt I felt surprised by a couple of the results, but you know that's kind of how they they book out the tournaments, and you've only got one block to work with, so yeah, yeah. But yeah, the um, you know, the, the show was fine. It really wasn't anything I would tell anybody. They have to rush out and say, but you know, it was easy two hours. Uh, but yeah, I'm already two days behind because I have to watch uh, World Tag League Day One and Best of Super Juniors Day Two. So I don't know. I'm probably just going to do I, I think it was impossible to find time to do it this past weekend between full gear, which uh, I think was 17 hours long. I'm pretty sure it was. That's, it that's was at least, long. How, at least how long it felt. Uh, but yeah, which we'll obviously we'll get into that. And, you know, full gear and battle in the valley. And then, you know, just I have hockey games to watch. I don't know. I've been watching a lot of hockey lately. Did you watch? Battle in the Valley right after Full Gear, or did you I watch did, no, next I day? Watched, I watched it next day. Yeah, yeah, because it was I, like by the time it, by the time Full Gear was over, I think Battle in the Valley was already like what, like forty five minutes in or something. I think it was probably about an hour actually. Yeah. yeah, so I think they were three three or four matches in. I only had, I had to had to dual screen it there for a little bit. I mean, like Battle in the Valley, um, you know, originally was supposed to be the week after Full Gear, which probably would have worked out better for both shows. I'm sure what I had like hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, definitely the new Japan show. Yeah. I mean, full gear, I think would have had like a new Japan guy on it probably. Oh, that too. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just, it didn't work out because the full gear had to, they they had to move it back a week because they didn't want to go head to head with that UFC pay-per-view or whatever. Yeah. I guess it it was a really big one last week. I I have no idea. Yeah. It was a, it was a pretty big show. They did. um, UFC was doing Madison square garden. So they, uh really they had a hell of a card so um and then there was a boxing fight too so oh, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a lot i mean it made it made all the sense in the world for them to move but um you know fucked over new japan <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's not a good <laughs> that wasn't yeah. a good trade-off for new japan especially since like they Mox, already had their date booked they couldn't move theirs i don't think yeah well yeah. and new japan's not gonna that doesn't seem to be like what they would do yeah. You know, like they're just, they stay the course. Yeah. So, um, which is, you know, sometimes for the best, but you know, yeah. I, it, it kind of worked out where it was a, one big night of pro wrestling. I, I, I mean, we're going to get into a full review of full gear. I mean, at, by the end of that show, I don't know if I ever wanted to watch pro wrestling again. <laughs> so it was like, I was not going to be able to sit there and watch Battle on the Valley back to back. I mean, like that, that show did not help my burnout. I will say that. But, uh, you know, but yeah, yeah, we'll get into the full review. Um, I guess some housekeeping notes. So with the every other week format right now, because we have obviously we're doing every other week uh, only on the free feed, no Patreon for the foreseeable future. So we basically have three episodes left uh, for the rest of the year. Um, I'm making the executive decision not to do a um, the year interview series that we've done a bunch of, you know, previous years. It's sort of just with the schedule being condensed and, you know, um, you know, just having less episodes to do it. And also I, I just really don't 
like I was I was thinking sitting down thinking of like what promotions did I want to do a year in a view episode on and the answer was really none like there really wasn't anything in 2021 that I really want to relive like oh I'm excited like like usually New Japan's a big one to sit down and do but like they had such a like blah year that I don't really want to go to sit down and do it all and like you know I mean other Puro was just like okay they had a whatever year I mean DET had a pretty decent year I guess but you know I didn't watch any Joshi really so I can't even talk about that and I, I don't want to do the AEW or WWE episodes. I mean, I, I just don't really care. So it just didn't, it didn't seem like a great year to do year in review. So if you like that series in the past, if you're a longtime listener, uh, I apologize. We'll get back to it probably in 2022 when, uh, you know, things are a little more normal, maybe. Um, already signs of Japan opening up now, right? I, I think the wrestlers have been talking about this. The wrestlers are starting to hint, like the U.S. Yeah. wrestlers are starting to hint that they there's balls in motion for sure. Yeah, I mean, technically, basically, so so it sounds like to me like if you're a big corporation, uh, which Bushi Road obviously is, you can get foreigners in again, basically, like especially new foreigners. Mm. Um, it sounds like the, they're taking visa applications again, and more importantly, maybe as far as getting some people back over. Uh, they reduced the quarantine period from 14 days to three days. Now, the three days comes with a lot of caveats. My friend was just bitching about this because he's been hoping to get back into the country uh, on some kind of business visa, but not with a giant Japanese corporation backing him. And the rules they set up are very on- onerous. So they basically set it up in a way where, like, it's really hard to take advantage of it unless you do have that giant company backing you because you know, basically the company needs to have a specific compliance officer who the Japanese government can ask questions to, and they need to submit an entire, uh, God, what's the word? They need to submit a, uh, like a fucking (laughs) itinerary. There you go. And I could not think of that word for some reason. An itinerary of like what that employee will be doing the entire time. And, you know, basically you just need to have like a big company behind you uh, to take any advantage of the you know of this reduced quarantine but obviously you know asking just asking like a foreign wrestler you know to spend three days in the dojo or in a hotel compared to 10 or 14 is a big pretty big fucking difference that's a huge that's a huge difference yeah i mean it's like you know sit here for a weekend is a a long weekend maybe but a weekend is a little different than sit here for a week and a half or two weeks so yeah i mean i'm sure that's going to help the uh international travel and then they're already talking about the return of tourism um maybe for to target like by the end of the year they're talking about tourism um with uh with like these these uh these groups right these group tours that are like set up by groups and then maybe general tourism by like they, they, this is more of a rumor just what i've heard from talking to people is they really want general tourism reopened by cherry blossom season since that's up, that's a huge season for Japanese tourism with people coming in to see the cherry blossoms. But that would be like the end of March. So I would expect, you know, unless Japan has another res- big resurgence in the virus, which they're, you know, the, the virus is way down in Japan right now. I would expect uh, like March 2022, maybe, to be when you're talking about like no quarantine at all for international travel if you're vaccinated. Because uh, that, that is the key for all this stuff, by the way. Right. If you will not be seeing any unvaccinated wrestlers in Japan for a very long time, because uh, 
as far as I know, it's still the full 14 day quarantine for them. If they'll even let, if they'll even let you in the country, I don't even know if they will. I think for like a visa, I think you probably have to be vaccinated, but, um, but yeah. Uh, but if you're vaccinated, I think maybe like March, 2022. So, you know, that, even if they don't get any wrestlers in the country before March, which I think they probably will, uh, that's not that far away. So I guess to the point, you know, earlier, I think, you know, there's American wrestlers, you will be seeing new foreign wrestlers in in New Japan, and I assume new other Japanese companies too. Uh, probably, I would think like first quarter 2022, maybe second quarter at the latest. So that's exciting. Yeah. Stoke the flame on the uh, we can get some Wrestle Kingdom rumors going then if you think uh, after the first of the year, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, that January 8th shows the the one that's in question of like, could they get somebody over for it? But um, I think that's still uh, a, a pretty hefty task just for a, a visitor, not someone who's going to actually work for the company. Yeah. But the the big thing is like they you know they have this huge roster now of American wrestlers right that they oh yeah you know, if, on the American brand yeah that they could bring over so you know I do think we'll see some of that in 2022 and we'll see more you know intermingling of the two sides so that'll be interesting yeah uh, as we'll talk about I think it'll probably help some of those strong people actually get over because they they were not that over sure. in San Jose uh, which is a you know. Just something I, I I feel like that you could definitely tell a difference between people who have appeared in Japan and people who are who haven't as far as even the Western fan base. So, I mean, that's something where I think that'll help a lot. Like that'll help, you know, because obviously they're going to continue strong. I mean, they announced tapings uh, for January, February, and March, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think it was what January, Seattle, February, LA, March, Tampa, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's going to continue well into twenty twenty two, but you know, being able to send people back and forth is only going to help that show a lot because, you know, you'll get more Japanese talent on Strong, which will, you know, increase uh, the interest in Strong. And then you'll also get more Strong talent in Japan, which will increase the interest in them when they come back to work Strong. So, you know, I, I assume that is like the general plan. And if it is, I think, you know, it's probably a pretty good one. So I guess we'll see how that goes. Well, they've made all these relationships. Um, that too. They have, you know, like impact and right. AEW and GCW. And just the, ex- and then the existence of strong and all the, basically, I mean, those guys are their roster. I mean, you, you probably saw Chris Dickinson's um, tweet yeah. about his injury with his, you know, it's kind of notes app tweet, but uh, Dickinson was, he was, um, you know, he's very, apologetic to the new japan fans more than more than anything not even necessarily like all the indies or gcw or anything he's just talking about how great new japan is and how he can't wait to get over to japan for new japan like he was it was i i was surprised to see him connect himself so closely to one company because he's such a freelancer but yeah and he uh, he i think he kind of said he had plans to come to japan yeah basically what he insinuated so he he definitely insinuated that yeah. yeah and and that it sounded like he was hopeful that that was happening soon. Yeah. So I assume that's what they're telling these guys is like start of the new year, you know, mm-hmm. we'll be able to start bringing you guys in. But, uh, you know, I mean, it does look the, the situation in Japan has changed. I mean, to the point where, you know, there are, there is talk about even like cheering crowds, you know, in 2022, um, they have to get, it sounds, what I read is they have to get permission from the prefecture to do it. 
So presumably, you know, to, to have a, cause I, what I read basically was like, you can have a 50% capacity crowd uh, that I think requires either vaccination or negative test. And then they'll be allowed to cheer. Um, but you have to get permission with a prefecture as well. So presumably that means Tokyo will have to clear it. Um, I don't, I worry a little bit about Russell kingdom. I kind of think, I don't know if they might say that's too soon to do, you know, a 20,000 person cheering crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw one thing of note there, Basara just fucking, I don't know if they got permission or just, they, they figure they're so low level that nobody will care. But Basara, uh, as of this past weekend, I, I saw the tweet where they said, uh, you have to be vaccinated to come or have a negative test. But once you're inside and you have to follow, you have to wear the mask still, you can cheer. Like they specifically said that in a tweet, like you can cheer at our show this, this past. And that was for this past weekend. So Basara, uh, for people, people don't know, is a pretty low level indie. They used to, uh, that's Isami Kodaka's promotion. Um, and that's uh, the, it's used to be a DET sub brand, but now it's just, you know, went fully independent. And I believe that is the first Japanese company I've seen, uh, you know, just tell people they have permission to cheer again. I could be wrong on that, but that, at least it's the first one I've seen. So that is interesting to me. I you know, you, you saw a company do it. Uh, even at that low level, they did decide to do it. So, you know, I, I, I think the, it's turning on this. Like I do, like anyone who, unless things go really badly with COVID over the next, you know, whatever amount of months, I don't, I don't think we're like a year away from cheering crowds again in Japan. I think we're like, you know, somewhere between, I don't know, three to six months or something, depending on, you know, who decides to do it. And, you know, if the prefectural governments have a problem or whatever, but I do think it's, it's, we're on, it's on the horizon. How about that? So. Hey, after what how long has it been i mean a year (laughs) and a half now um you know a couple more months of waiting hopefully with i mean the the thing that i have seen in some of these shows from japan is that the crowds are they seem to be a little bit bigger than than they had been um during this last wave here so I think maybe the confidence to get out to shows is is growing again, and hopefully that that will continue to the point where um, we can have big cheering, you know, totally full cork and halls for every you know for every company, right? Like not just New Japan, but um, you know any any company is going to benefit from that. So you know, I do think I think it's closer, but I mean we've been doing this for so long <laughs> that yeah. it's gonna be I you know. I think I do think the people who are going to the shows they're going to be ready to cheer, right? But like even for me watching, you know, I've watched so much of this stuff that it might be a little weird to <laughs> kind of gauge a cheering crowd again. Yeah, it's going to be something. Yeah. I just want to give people an ex- like just how low covid is in Japan right now. It had Tokyo for Monday, the entire city of Tokyo, which is gigantic, reported 7 cases so oh, still still <laughs> in the single digits they've been in single yeah. digits for a little while yeah so, so. yeah uh, i think it's time to do some stuff there yeah yeah so i do th- i do think it's and the other thing the reason why i do think you'll see international travel and tourism opening up is uh another headline from the japan times japan's economy contracts for first time in two quarters uh, 0.8% down in the quarter, which was worse than economists' median estimates. So uh, they are going to need some money, basically. Which yeah. is why I, I honestly, I do buy into the idea that uh, 
the you know cherry blossom season 2022 is like when they really want it to be open by so i do think you'll see it by then yeah that's that's the next big thing on the tourism calendar so it's japan's biggest thing of the year for right foreign travelers i think i don't see what will be comparable i mean because like there's domestic travel season like oban among the domestic population would be bigger i think but i don't know i think it would be because the only the only other like major um as far as like sightseeing thing that is like fall like fall foliage season japan draws a lot of people too but i know the cherry blossom season now draws it so yeah you know, uh, but i guess we'll have to wait and i think it'll be open i think it'll be open. it's so you gotta figure they would shoot for a little before that so yeah, I would people so yeah, yeah, yeah just so people aren't um it's not just like the first thing you know so yeah. but there you go uh okay so let's switch gears here uh, ha, ha. i didn't even do that on purpose i just as soon as it was out of my mouth i was like wait uh switch gears to uh full gear which was all eight wrestlings uh pay-per-view extravaganza from minneapolis uh november 13th 2021 the target center uh I, I so originally i was supposed to i was gonna go to this show when it was uh november 6th in um in in uh st louis uh the the week the week first um or the week after you know it really uh you know it really just kind of um i don't know like they like moving it back a week moved it closer another trip i'm taking and it also moved it to a city i really you know no offense to minneapolis i just you know st louis i was like oh i've never been there i want to see the ark and stuff minneapolis yeah. i'm like I don't know what the fuck's in Minneapolis. I really don't have Skyway? any. Skyway? I don't I know. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, like, St. Louis felt like a place where, you know, I, I really probably would never go anyway. But, like, you know, like, get a hotel right by the Ark. Apparently, the Ark was close to the arena. Look at the big Ark and be like, look, I was in St. Louis at the Ark. Yippee. Uh, I, I don't fucking know what's in Minneapolis. So, it just really, uh, you know, the change of venue didn't do anything for me. Um so I almost went to the show. I did not end up going to the show, uh, which is funny because you almost went to Battle of the Valley. Uh, yeah, well, I had, <laughs> I had every intention and plan to go to Battle in the Valley, but it didn't happen. Didn't yeah. didn't didn't go for it. Yeah. So we both almost went to a show on this on this episode, but both did not end up going. Um, you know, the I mean, the other thing too with Full Gear is I kind of figured being a week before the New Japan show, you know, I figured oh maybe like Okada will be on the show or something. And, uh, you know, obviously once it moved the same day as San Jose, it's like, well, that's not happening. So, you know, that also kind of took it down for me. Uh, as far as my thoughts on the show. Okay. This was, this was a, a show that I can already tell a lot of the internet likes a lot more than I did. Just looking at the cage match rating and, uh, some of the grapple match ratings and all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, I've seen people say again that this is like one of the best papers ever, and blah 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 blah. I I don't. I just really like my my biggest problem with the show, I guess. And again, this show did have three matches that I thought were awesome. This might be this this is a t- a term that might make very little sense, but this might be my least favorite show with three matches that I had at over four stars and thought were awesome that I've ever had. Because the show was paced so weirdly, it had such uh, a couple matches that I absolutely fucking hated, including possibly my least favorite match of the entire year. Uh, 
in another match I really disliked that you know other people are higher on that one and I get it and then a bunch of middling stuff um everything felt so long like you know I Again, I watch New Japan, so I really probably shouldn't be complaining about match length. But, like, where AEW gets me is, like, every match, it feels like, has to go 20 minutes or 17 minutes. Even, like, you know, undercard stuff that probably will be much better off going, like, uh, you know, 10 to 15. And, you know, it just really, really starts to add up after a while. And the way AEW shows, you know, AEW matches, obviously... The, the match style is often, you know, let's do every move in the book and every kickout ever. And every match is like, you know, the, the 10 WrestleMania kickouts. And that really does get old after a while. I'm not trying to sound like Jim Cornette. But, like, when you've seen people kick out of every move that's ever happened on, you know, three of the last four matches before you get to this match, it's like, yeah, at a certain point, it starts to lose its impact. And you know, it starts to feel like it's just really dragging. The show, AEW papers in general, all of them except for All Out, which was their best paper ever and really never felt like it dragged. You know, AEW papers really fucking drag for me. They almost always have a couple matches that I just feel like are never going to end, even when they don't turn out to be that long because they just feel like they cram so much stuff in there, like way too much stuff. And, you know, it ends up being just, you know, just by the end of it, I'm like, I never want to watch this company again. I never want to watch uh, American wrestling again. Like, that's always how I feel at the end of an AEW show uh, or even specific, I guess maybe more specifically the middle of an AEW show. And, you know, any sh- like a pay-per-view should make you excited to watch what comes next in the company. It should not make you go like, I don't ever want to watch this company again. But that's how I feel coming out of many of their pay-per-views. So... That's my big picture thoughts on Full Gear, I think, before we get into these individual matches. Yeah, that's you had, that you had a lot of thoughts. Um, <laughs> I agree. I do agree mostly, though, with uh, everything you, you're feeling, I guess. Um, the the overall length doesn't get to me as much as like the sameness of like the the length of the matches right and like i don't even know if it's the kickout thing or whatever but like when every match is within like three minutes of itself especially the the first half of this pay-per-view like everything was hitting it you it, it's like they told him like you got 20 right yeah let me, re- I, let me read these match times to give you right 21 56 18 37 19 20 16 15 16 everything went over 15 minutes you know, four of the, the first four, especially when like, you know, 22, uh, you know, 18 and a half, 20, 22. And that really does start to grade on you. Finally, Punk and Kickson, which which is one of the best matches of the show, went 11.07. It was like, thank God. It was like, finally, something went 11 minutes. And then the last two matches, 19.37, maybe the most egregious of them all. And then 25-11, which that's totally fine for a main event. 25. The main event. See, the main event was the longest match in the show. But because... uh. Kenny Omega and Adam Page know how to structure a 25-minute match, first of all, and they basically work this like a, you know, a big New Japan main event, which is how Kenny works all of his big matches, honestly. <laughs> um, you know, that 25 minutes fucking flew by compared to some of these other times where I have to sit through, uh, you know, weapon bonanza bullshit twice for 20 minutes or more, which is like, that was one of the most egregious part of uh, parts of this show. 
Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. But... No, you're fine. <laughs> I, I was, you know, just saying that the the literal sameness of all those times is like so that's what was draining for me is that there was no like up and down pacing until you got to really the Kingston match, Kingston punk. Yeah. And then I was like back into it. Right. And I don't know if that, that may be by design. Um, they ruined it with the plunder <laughs> with the Minneapolis street oh, fight God. situation. Talk about that one. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you're right. The main event was paced like a G one main event or, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a little more drawn out, maybe even more in the, g1 final kind of but it still landed in 25 minutes so um i mean yeah it it, i don't want to say it was a drag because i thought it was a good show but like and and overall like all things considered on balance like this was a good pay-per-view i thought but i yeah i would like to see some varied segment lengths i guess if you know because everyone talks in tv terms these days like it felt like you had like all the puzzle pieces were the same size. And that, I don't think that should be the case. Yeah. This, this, these shows need like snappy 10 minute sprints or something. Yeah. Which or, we finally got like towards the very end of the show. Right. You but, needed like, one, one or two more of those. Like, did we really need 20 minutes of Lucha Bros versus FTR? We like, did not. No. I don't think we did. Like, and those teams are pretty good, but like 12, maybe, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the pacing of these shows is my, my my biggest problem with them for sure. Yeah, and I don't. It's tough for me to say how that felt at all out because I was there and very all out felt all out felt better paced. I don't remember what the match times were. But yeah, all I out feel had like, like all a, out had all out had a you know big pops like big surprises. Well, I, yeah, too. and here's the other thing. I'm glad you mentioned pops because I was going to mention the other thing that made this show far inferior to all out was the crowd. I mean, this was not a good AEW pay-per-view crowd at all. They did, you know, they did pop really big for some stuff, including they were really into the opener. They were really into MJF and Darby uh, because that was a very well-built match. And they were really into the main event, like really, really super into the main event. But, you know, and they were really into Punk Kingston too, which is another really built match, a really well-built match. But, like, a lot of this show, pretty much everything else I didn't mention, you know, including some good matches like Danielson, Miro, um, they were very dead for long stretches, uh, especially on the scale of AEW pay-per-view crowds, which, you know, all, that all-out crowd was hot for the entire thing, pretty much. And this crowd just was, uh, you know, I mean, this is still a crowd that, like, you know, D- WWE would kill for this crowd, right? I mean, this is, you know, it's all relative. But on the scale of, like, AEW pay-per-view crowds, this was not a good crowd. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I'm biased, but like the Chicago crowd's really good. The Vegas crowd's have been really good too. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I thought it was interesting that they went to Minneapolis for the first time uh, with a pay-per-view just because that seems risky to me. Um, I don't know you have to, you got to go sometime or whatever, but um, the thing about AEW crowds, and I think I mentioned it, in a chat somewhere or in a conversation before already. But like when you show up for the first time, like people are just appreciative that they're there. So everyone's baby face um, unless you're, they're playing along right with, with the, with the act. So I do think that that made things even more complicated for some of these matches is that their people were just happy. AEW was there and, and that kind of ruins the heat or the big, you know, the big time dynamic of, 
of babyface and heel, which as much as they don't want it, that it, it exists and it's helpful at first. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's look at these, uh, these matches here. We'll start at the main event or go our way down. So the main event was hangman, Adam page defeating Kenny Omega in 25, 11 to finally win the AEW world title. Uh, his intro here with him like riding a horse down the street and there's like this big scream with uh, you know, a few of his failures, uh, most notably the loss to Chris Jericho to decide the first champion. That was pretty cool. Uh, also pretty cool was Kenny's like all silver outfit complete with cape. He just looked uh, looked very badass here. Um, you know, JR had a rare funny line uh, when Callis was like stomping on Hangman Page on the floor, Don Callis, and said, uh, he said, quote, Callis should be fined or suspended for wearing those uh, wearing those shoes because you're wearing these like very ugly pink shoes, uh, let alone the interference. That was actually funny. So JR doesn't get too many zingers. <laughs> I wanted to make note of that one. Um, you know, the match, it was paced, like I said, much like a big New Japan main event, a little boring early on, um, but like in a way where it, it builds and builds and gets you more and more into it. And, you know, Paige really got some excitement flowing with uh, some nice high-flying moves, you know, all in a row. Ended with a big moonsault off the top rope to a standing Kenny on the outside. Uh, Kenny, though, nearly killed Paige with this huge springboard powerbomb. So basically, Paige was on the top rope, and Kenny, like, springboarded up and sort of did, like, a little sunset into the powerbomb. That was awesome. That was awesome, but also terrifying. Yeah, because Paige landed directly on his head and neck. Uh, and then Kenny followed it up with three straight dragon suplexes. Last one on the apron. Uh, that looked quite brutal as well. But what I didn't like, and this is one of my big flaws of the match, is he throws Paige right back in the ring after the powerbomb, the three straight dragon suplexes. All this looked like it killed him. He hits the V-trigger on top of all that, goes for the one-winged angel, but Paige rolls through it into a victory roll for a two count, and then it's this big release German suplex on him. And I was like, did I miss something? Like, how was he not selling from taking all that in a row? Like, you know, Kenny just murdered this man, basically. And he wasn't even like, oh, I'm getting my one move and I'm dead again. Like, he was just fine. So it was a little, a little weird. Uh, but then Kenny did put him back down after that uh, with the Tiger Driver 98. And he finally did sell that. So that's good. Uh, Paige hit a... Pretty great clothesline to Kenny on the floor through a table. Uh, he tried to set up the buckshot back in the ring, but Kenny collapsed in the ropes. He couldn't get it. Uh, Paige ended up smacking Kenny in the face with this big roaring elbow, and then he hit a snap powerbomb. But then when he uh, set the buckshot up again, Kenny pulled the referee in the way. Uh, Don brought the belt in the ring. Paige did stop him before he could use it, and then he hit the dead eye on Kenny. Uh, Aubie ran from the back to count the pin, but Kenny kicked out at two. I like that they kept the interference to a minimum here. It was just Don Callis trying one little thing and, you know, then right back to wrestling, basically. So I was already to hate the interference, but they really didn't, you know, there really wasn't that much. Uh, Paige picked the belt up, but then dropped it instead of using it. Uh, the two of them then exchanged elbows, which this is like when we, we I think we might have even talked about this in the last episode you were on for, but like when I see people praise like, Kenny's big matches in AEW, uh, who also like shit on New Japan on the regular. That is one of the funniest fucking things to me because he still wrestles exactly like a big New Japan match. And here, where they did an elbow exchange, it was in the exact same spot in a big New Japan main event 
where they exchange elbows. You just have the big giant near fall, and then both guys are like get slowly climbing back to their feet, and they do the elbow exchange. I was like, okay, if if you are telling me this is different than a big New Japan main event, like if you like this and you like a big New Japan main event, that's fine. But if you're telling me you like this and don't like big New Japan main events, you're like lying to yourself or something. I don't know what else to tell you because it's the same fucking thing. Uh, Kenny comes back with punches. He gets repeated knees to the face. Page catches his knee on the running one and then hits his own punches. Kenny, though, catches him with the running knee in the corner. Uh, but then he run he runs right into the another roaring elbow from Page. Uh, Kenny, though, stops him with another knee. Then he hits some Kawada-style step-up kicks. But Page instead just catches him with this huge standing lariat. That was awesome. Uh, the Young Bucks come out at this point. Uh, and Tony Schiavone gets his gets his great line here, where he's like, "Dipshit alert!" <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "Okay." Uh, the Bucks just kind of distract Paige. Kenny hits a big V trigger, tries to set Paige up for the one winged angel, but Paige counters into his own one winged angel. Uh, Kenny, of course, did kick out of his own move, and then Paige hits a buckshot to the back of Kenny's head. He keeps getting distracted by the Bucks, but then Matt Jackson just nods at him. Uh, kind of, I guess the idea was he gave him a pass, which. Uh, by the way, Matt, ja- Matt Jackson making faces, never that fun of a time. He's not not the best actor I've ever seen. Uh, Paige then hits a second buckshot, and that is the pin. Um, I, th- I don't know, like with the Bucks walking out, I mean, I was worried again that it was going to be interference, but maybe if anything, the, the finish almost felt a little anticlimactic after all that. Like, it just kind of felt like, all right, well, he hit his move in one. But, I mean, I don't know. But no bullshit besides the ref bump. It really did help this one a lot. Uh, I went four and a quarter on it. Uh, pretty damn awesome. A, a lot better than I was expecting, really. And, you know, this, you know, having a main event that was this awesome, you know, helped to, quote, save a very up and down show, you know, to me. Because, like, if the main event after all the stuff we're going to, all the stuff we're going to talk about, uh, some awesome, some not awesome at all. If the main event here had not also been awesome, I think I would have been just, like, more, much more down the show than I was. You know, as it is, it was, like, a really good ending, and I really, uh, you know, it, it made the show at least, you know, leave you with a, with a, on a high note. So that's good. Uh, but, yeah, you know, they, they they put on an awesome performance here, and I'm not surprised some people are even higher than this on this match than me, but, uh, you know, four and a quarter is where I went here. Yeah, I think people who are going higher than that would be people who are really, really invested in the hangman story, like from day one. Yeah. Um, and like I think, Ken, or Kenny super fans. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Which, right. Which, because it describes like every English language journalist on the internet. Apparently this was very <laughs> Kenny, very Kenny match. Right. So, um, page page looked great. Um, I, I, curious to see what, uh, a homegrown champion looks like for AEW for sure. Right. Because I think even Kenny, obviously built his career somewhere else and um, Jericho Moxley. Right. So this is the first try at, at having someone like Adam page um, carry the company. So obviously this was the end of their kind of first two year arc, give or take. And um, they delivered in the ring for sure. This match was really engaging. It was, uh, you know, just the right length where it felt, um felt like hard fought um and i think but the the buck stuff annoyed me to be honest like i don't maybe annoyed even a strong word but it was kind of like a 
eye roll. Stupid. Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, it it didn't need to happen here. It probably it could have happened at Dynamite or anywhere else like i don't know that that was necessary and they didn't use that in the build-up now there are people who are going to scream at you that i just want to say for for um you know for the devil's advocate position people are like the bucks were a big part of the story or oh, i don't give a fuck yeah I, <laughs> okay. they were but they didn't use that in the recent build-up to get to the point where yeah. we're having a match so it did it just felt a little out of place um so I, you know curious where that where that goes i think this is all a slow burn still now um we'll see we'll see what page does going forward here but i think um when it comes down to it the you know the match delivered speaking of things that did that delivered this sure didn't the semi-main event the 10-man tie team minneapolis street fight the inner circle chris jericho jake hager uh ortiz santana sammy Guevara. Defeat the American top team, uh, Andre Vlosky, Dan Lambert, and Junior Dos Santos, and the men of the year, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, in 1937. Yes, while everyone's, everyone's waiting for the main event, they gave this piece of shit almost 20 minutes. And this is where, like, I was ready to kill somebody watching this match. Like, look, like, a big multi man American weapons garbage brawl is, like, up there with multi man ladder match, my least favorite style of wrestling. Just, I could not I don't I don't really understand a lot of wrestling fans, but I especially don't understand how anyone who's been watching this stuff for like ten years or more. Like look, if this was your first night watching wrestling, I'm sure both these big uh multi-man uh you know hardcore matches were really super neat to you or something. But like if you've been watching this shit for years and years and years, the way a lot of people have, and you still care about table spots and garbage cans and all this shit that's exactly the same every single time. I really don't understand you. I really don't understand how people are still that excited. I hate this shit. If I'm going to watch something with weapons, I'd rather watch a death match. At least that can be, you know, at least there's a real sense of danger there and they can, you know, they they can do some interesting stuff sometimes. These matches, these fucking hardcore matches, are so incredibly boring. And the multi-man ones, where like it's just a guy taking a move, and then that guy is gone for 20 minutes or you know, five minutes or whatever, and then another guy comes in to hit a move on that guy, and then that guy's gone, and then another guy comes over with another weapon. It's just so like it's so brainless, it's so uninteresting, it's just nothing. Um now this one, this one in particular, it was billed as a Minneapolis street fight. It started with everybody uh, politely tagging in and out for some reason. That was really funny. One of those things I think everybody makes fun of WWE for. So you should make fun of AEW for it too. I mean, why were they tagging at first? It's like eventually they did abandon it. Um, but why the fuck were they politely tagging in and out? It's like the referee cannot disqualify you if you all just get in the ring and fight. So eventually they did figure this out. But like. All those few minutes of the started politely tagging, and I was like, what is going on? Uh, very strange. Junior Dos Santos, okay, one of the two uh, MMA fighters here, he almost kills himself on a standing moonsault. Maybe the worst standing moonsault I've ever seen. Like, he cracked his neck on the chest of the guy he was doing it to. It looked horrible. Um, everyone finally does just decide to get in the ring and fight. Uh, Dan Lambert ends up in the ring with the entire inner circle. Then he gets away before they could do anything. Um, then we get the random weapon brawling on the floor. 
so boring. Uh, Sammy, Sammy hits somebody with a fucking swanton bomb. And despite this being a 10-man street fight, and we can clearly see Dos Santos and Dan Lambert standing on the outside, no one makes a save for some reason. They just stand there like, huh, I hope he doesn't get penned. And he does kick out. But I'm like, why did no one make the save there? It was very weird. Uh, Baron Von Rashke, he, he, uh, he was at ringside, he, you know, Minneapolis wrestling legend. He puts Ethan Page in the Iron Claw. That was easily the highlight of this entire fucking terrible match. And then Dan Lambert gets to the ring with no one to protect him and starts flexing like a complete idiot. It's like, why, sir, you're, a, you're the manager and you, you're a cowardly manager. What are you doing? And Jericho, of course, shows up and starts chopping him. Now, he gives him a single elbow, which Dan Lambert takes a horrible bump for. Horrible bump for. And then Jericho jumps on the middle rope to go for a lion salt. And he stops. And he pauses. Because you see, somebody is supposed to be, uh, you know, doing, breaking this up. But they clearly are not. Because they're not ready for the spot. So Jericho has to loudly call Junior Dos Santos. I think he says, come on, Junior, over for the spot to stop Jericho. He has to call a wrestler on the other team to come stop him from hitting a Lions <laughs> This was, I did not think we would ever see a, a come on, Jeff, goddammit, again. I don't know if you know the, what that reference is. But uh, Survivor Series 2001 when Jeff Hardy, it was some multi-man tag with Jeff Hardy on one team and Rico on the other team. And, you know, or Survivor Series 2002, I'm sorry. 2002. I was there. I should know. Um, and so Jeff Hardy was supposed to stop Rico on the top rope before he could hit a move. And the camera was right on Rico as he yells out, come on, Jeff, God damn it. Because <laughs> Jeff Hardy, I guess, was very fucked up or something at the time, was not ready to come over and break up break up the move so then jeff hardy did indeed come on god damn it and uh <laughs> break up the move so that this was the uh come on jeff god damn it of 2021 so not almost exactly 19 years of the day because that was again survivor series uh 2002 we got uh something about november pay-per-views i guess and guys having to call other people to do their spots uh jericho does a truly terrible frog splash in tribute to eddie guerrero and he pins dan lambert uh, to end nearly 20 minutes of absolute goddamn fucking torture. Uh, I gave this half a star <laughs> for a few decent spots. That may be overly generous. And I'm probably going to vote for this for worst match of the year of 2021. Before this, the, the match I thought was the worst was uh, the Toriano versus Evil blindfold match. Or whatever oh. I absolutely hated. But I think this was worse. So this is going to get my vote, I think. Unless something else even more terrible... Uh, happens between now and the end of the year. So uh, there you go. Any thoughts on the uh, Minneapolis street fight? Well, it it didn't benefit from its placement on the card either. Um, putting this that late and like having it just be so obviously choreographed to each little spot. Um, I think that was the thing that just bothered me. And, you know, I mean, Jericho, I didn't hear Jericho yell um when he was waiting for the the lion salt to be broken up but i watched it i was like oh you're just gonna stand there for a minute and then (laughs) and then then get get knocked out but yeah this wasn't for me i'm not i don't like the um i don't like the dan lambert gimmick 
you know, and I know people people love it and people in the buildings love it. People love it so much they will fucking fight you to the death. Uh-huh. Don't you don't I know. Like I know. And, and we I, both know from the voice wrestling slack. But. And I just, I can't get into it. And yeah. I just, I don't know what that is. You know, I just, I, he feels scripted to me too, where like everything's a bit and, and it's very unnatural. So, but yeah, uh, you know, I, these big multi-plan inner circle brawls don't don't land for me and i think that that group is is good but i you know them going out on their own more often than not um is is i think the best best thing for my liking i just want to see wrestling matches i don't know i don't really like like if there's one of these things on a show it'd be one thing but we had two of these fucking things that were 20 minutes or longer on the same pay-per-view and it's like i just i don't need to see two of them like, I barely want to see one of them. I don't really want to even see one of them. Well, and I think but, that that also devalues both of them. Yeah. Right? Because they're, you know, they're, they, they're so much of the same um, that, that happens throughout all of it. So, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, match number seven, back to positive here, uh, was CM Punk defeating Eddie Kingston in 11.07. This just felt like a fight. Uh, Kingston hits Punk with the back fist of the future before the bell even rings uh, while Bryce is like giving instructions to Punk and Punk like flips him off while he's on the on the ground which I thought that was a great touch uh, Eddie bites him and goes after him on the floor uh, you know the crowd who had been not that great up to this point was really loud for this with a huge dueling chant for both guys right away and part of the crowd actually starts booing Punk as he's beating on Eddie Kingston on the mat, which I I was a little surprised by. I, w- I thought they would. I thought Eddie would be the favorite, uh, but I did not know if they'd actually boo Punk, and they did go that far. Some of them did, um, and I, I you know Punk seemed to get a kick out of it. Uh, it seemed to fire up Punk in a way that very few things have. I mean, Punk is a guy. Look, Punk needs to be against something, right? Like he needs something. He needs people to be against him. I mean, I saw it when I saw it when it, when he was in Ring of Honor back in the day. I mean, he was a guy who really got off on people not liking him. And I don't even just mean that in the sense of a normal heel. Like when people would like really hate his straight edge gimmick, and you know, that, which is not a gimmick, it's just him in real life as well. But when people like really hate that, he would really get off on it and really like love to go after those people who went after him in the crowd. Um, and when he was a babyface, even, and he had like one or two. Hecklers, he would love to go at those hecklers really hard, uh, you know, and, and and really like try to shut them down. So he he really get like he you know he really likes um, you know having something to go up against. And obviously in WWE it was like the entire company, right? Like he was up against that entire company even while he was there as one of its top stars. AEW so far he hasn't got had anything to go up against. You know he's been Mister Happy Go Lucky, happy to be here. You know AEW mascot. And if this is the start of that changing, I think that's a huge fucking success because he is just such a more interesting guy and such a more engaging guy when he, you know, has something to hate and has something to go up against. Um, so Punk, he gets busted open during a brawl on the outside. Eddie rubs his blood all over himself. Uh, Punk then catches Eddie with a blue thunder bomb back in the ring, puts his hand straight up in the air, just like fucking John Cena while the crowd boos him. That was such an incredible spot. And I was really waiting for him to do You Can't See Me. But he finally just flips Eddie off instead. And Eddie 
on his on the back going, fuck you, right back at him, flipping him off. Such a great moment. Uh, both guys, uh, you know, are teasing exhaustion. Uh, the crowd really starts booing Punk as he lays into Eddie. And then Punk hits go to sleep, and that gets the pen. Easy four and a quarter here as well. This fucking world. Uh, you know, this was finally something on this show that didn't go too long. And, you know, it's just, I, I, I love this. This was an awesome, awesome match. And then Punk offers Eddie the handshake after the match. Eddie refuses it and just leaves. Uh, and apparently Punk, which he, that was good. I, I think he, I thought there was no way he should, you know, accept the handshake. And apparently Punk did the I want the belt gesture afterward, which uh, they we cut away so we didn't see it. But that's interesting. Uh, the, uh, shout out to Tyler from Voice of Wrestling who, uh, you know, told us that in the Slack. So I wanted to give him the credit for that. But yeah, um, you know, apparently because he was at the show and he, he saw Punk do the uh, the I want the belt motion. So we'll see if that goes anywhere. Uh, yeah. What do you think of Punk and Eddie Kingston? Yeah, this was my favorite match on the show. And Second this, favorite for me. Second. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is definitely my favorite match on the show and probably the, my favorite thing that Punk has done. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Like not even, I don't <laughs> even think it's close. I, mean, I was going to say, not even close. Yeah, like showing up, I appreciate, you know, so maybe that's my my most favorite thing, especially since I was there in Chicago. But um, yeah, definitely his best match. I, You know, Punk, building up the young guys and asking for their best is not nearly as good as CM Punk giving his best mm-hmm. and, and needing to give his best um, because he does need that edge to, um, to show up, you know, I mean, he needs that edge to, to be great. Right. So I think that I hope, I hope like you, I hope this is the start of that. And um, I think Kingston was perfect here, right? Like Kingston and punk ended up here just cause like punk got interrupted and he's a prideful guy and Kingston is a prideful guy and he doesn't care that, and he was pissed. So he got, he interrupted punk. So, you know, simple story, you know, really built out really well. And then the perfect short climax here, right? 11 minutes, shortest match on the show. But, um, I mean, perfectly laid out. I mean, just a great 11 minute fight. And, um, you know, I think CM Punk, the winner, is probably the right move, right? Unless you really wanted to fire up Eddie Kingston, but um, clearly not the direction that they're uh, that they're going. But Punk, because well, I love the post match where Eddie is like the bitter, like refusing to hit, shake his hand, like yeah. that. That to me is perfect. So that's why it was better for Punk to win. Right, but I mean, Eddie Kingston can lose. He's like Minoru Suzuki in new japan like he can lose and he's still over right eddie kingston i don't know i I don't know if he's quite that level but he's AEW's version of that where like eddie can lose and lose and lose and he's still gonna be credible but also um over so i you know i I mean i I think he's one of he could even be one of the characters where it would actually hurt him to win unless i mean unless you wanted to fire him towards one of the titles um and that was the next program but yeah i mean i think you're right i think if he won what do you do right where do you go from there so um yeah no spectacular match perfect perfect for the guys that were involved and um you know i wouldn't mind if they ran it back periodically it doesn't have to be right away but this could be one of those things where they always look at each other a little you know a little cross and 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 eventually build it out again uh so the we didn't. I skipped right over it. So let me go back a little bit here. Uh, between the Minneapolis Street Fight and the main event, we had two big announcements. First of all, 
the announcement of Tomohiro Ishii and Orange Cassidy against the Butcher and the Blade uh, for Wednesday Night Dynamite. Uh, not sure if I had Tomohiro Ishii on my show. My first priority would be putting him up against the Butcher and the Blade. Uh, but okay, sure thing. I mean, I know it's a storyline. Orange Cassidy's in a few of the Matt Hardy people and they join Chaos or whatever. But like... Maybe just get a better storyline for Tommy Ishii. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I, mean, I don't think they knew they had him until um, right before they announced they had him. Yeah, I, so. can book, I can still some books on the better. Come on, guy. Like any <laughs> anything with like that. The Butcher and the Blade. They're pretty good. Oh, uh, are are they? I don't yeah. Know. I don't know about that. They would look good in World Tag League. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, the other announcement, though, the far more controversial one, uh, Tony Schiavone welcomes Jay Lethal to the show, and Jay Lethal says he's all late, and he's challenging Sammy Guevara for the TNT title on, on this coming Dynamite. <laughs> I don't... So, so there's, there's accusations about Jay Lethal, okay? I'm not going to go into detail on those accusations right now. Uh, of course, you can always Google Jay Lethal speaking out, uh, if you want more information, you know, there, the, the gist of it, I guess, is that he is at the very least, he seems like kind of a creep with women. And there's a few, there's a couple different women who accused him, uh, uh, in ring of honor of like basically using his position, uh, to punish women who would not sleep with him. That is, I think the gist of the accusations, which is, you know, pretty serious stuff. Uh, you know, I, I, I <laughs> what I want to say about Jay Lethal is like, even if Jay Lethal was not accused of that kind of stuff, which he is, to be clear, those are real accusations. If he was not accused of that stuff, I'm not sure what the fuck the point of bringing Jay Lethal in this company is. I don't, he's a pretty boring guy. He's a guy who's been around for a million years. You know, you, we've seen him wrestle plenty of people on this roster already. You know, pretty much anyone who came from Ring of Honor. Um, you know, he's he's not a guy that brings anything to the table that I think AEW did not already have. He's definitely not an exciting pickup or anything like that. I didn't see a ton of people who were, you know, super excited by this. Um, and I think this speaks more to the fact that AEW absolutely is a company that loves to hire the friends of the EVPs. I mean, that's what they are. You know, I've seen some AEW fans be in denial about this and be like, you know, oh, you know, nepotism is in every company. Sure, it is absolutely like every company is about you know who you know to a degree, but they hire a lot of friends of the EVPs. Like this is a company that really hires. Uh, if you're friendly with Cody or the Bucks or Kenny, uh, you are getting a job in this company. I think that there's really only two prominent examples of friends of the EVPs who have not gotten a job once they were available, which would be uh, you know Joey Ryan who. You know, Tony apparently uh, did not want him there before the accusations came out. And boy, did he, uh, was he right on that call? And Marty Scroll, who they have not brought in yet with, you know, Marty uh, self-admitting his own accusations. Um, some people have said maybe the Jay thing is a trial run to bring in Marty eventually. Uh, you know, see what the reaction is to Jay with his accusations and uh, then bring in Marty. I would not surprise me if that was the case. Um it could also just be as simple as they saw the reaction when, you know, New Japan almost brought Marty in earlier this year um, and didn't end up doing it and decided they didn't, they didn't want it wasn't worth that, which, uh, you know, is fine. But I guess all I'm getting down to here is if you are a friend of these guys, 
whether or not bringing you into this company is you know going to be a big net positive, you will be hired by AEW. This company absolutely exists to hire the friends of the EVPs. It works out for the most of the time. They have plenty of guys who have come in as friends who have you know done well with the spot. They have also plenty of guys who have done absolutely nothing with the spot, like uh, you know Cody Buddy Sean Spears, for instance. Um, and they have you know you know it's just it's it's a very who do you know company, and that that is what it is. I'm not saying it's like you know a mortal sin, but in this case, you know it resulted in them bringing in a guy who fucking sucks. Like let's be real, he does not. He does not bring enough to the table as a pro wrestler, uh, you know, to, to warrant a spot in AEW, even putting aside the accusations against him. And the accusations against him should, you know, you should not be bringing in someone with those kind of accusations, whether or not you're the best wrestler in the fucking world. But it's just amazing to me that they would put, they would look past that, you know, and they, they look past stuff with Darby Allen, right? You know, there's accusations about Darby Allen that they've never really addressed. And, you know, even if I don't agree with the fact that I think that it should have, they should have done some kind of review and they should have announced the results of that. And, you know, there should have been something, you know, said about those Darby Allen accusations. You can understand it for Darby Allen, right? Because he's fucking Darby Allen and he's immensely popular and immensely talented. Jay Lethal is Jay Lethal. Like, why are we looking, like the fact that you're looking past accusations to bring in a guy who really does not make your company that much better is pretty egregious and pretty a pretty egregious example of this company in some ways existing to get their friends paid. And that's just, that's just what AEW is. I mean, you know, you can be in denial about it the way a lot of AEW fans appear to be in denial about it, but it, you know, they, they love to get their friends and paydays. And apparently, uh, you know, they it didn't matter whether or not it doesn't matter whether or not that friend has accusations of, uh, of impropriety the way Jay Lethal does. So. I don't know if you have anything to add about that, any of that. But. Well, I was just underwhelmed by the signing. Um, e- accusations and, and all that also come into play, of course, but I I don't know. Does what, does Jay, he have to, what does he have to bring the table? Does Jay Lethal make anyone excited, right? Jay Lethal versus who, right? Yeah. Like, what's the dream match here? Like, Jay Lethal uh, versus Brian Danielson probably happened in RH. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, J- Jay Lethal versus... Adam Cole what happened to happen in ROH. I'm mean, just like, what, what? There's there's nothing here. Like, what right. is so exciting about Jay Lethal here? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where we're going. It looks like this is a true official signing too. Yeah. This is not just like a an arc. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I saw it happen. I watched it, and I was kind of just like, okay. I mean, it's one of those like, well, Jay Lethal's there. Neat. You know, like he doesn't bring anyone with him. He doesn't start the rumor mill going about anybody else. That's exciting. It's just him. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, the, I guess know, he's here with Ring of. I mean, with Ring of Honor, you know, obviously firing the entire roster. Um, you know, there's there's just more interesting names there that you'd rather see. Like where where is Bandito? Where is uh, you know, where's Brody King? Like where is Jonathan Gresham, his own tag partner? Like there are so many names on that roster who could do so much more interesting things with people they have never faced before and wrestlers they've, you know, barely caught up against. It will be fresh and new and exciting. And they went with possibly the most boring option. Again, even putting aside the accusations, they went with the most boring option. 
And they, the reason why when they went with that option is because he's fucking best friends with the Young Bucks, going all the way back to TNA. Like, that's, that's all it is to it. He is, he knows the right people, and that's why he's here, uh, you know, before anybody else from Ring of Honor. So, you know, I fully expect to see the Briscoes next, you know, and because it's like they're buddies with the Young Bucks. So I'm sure they'll be, you know, they'll be here before too long. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a rumored list going around that, you know, I'm pretty sure uh, the Briscoes are on it. So, you know. I, I I don't know what else to say really, except it just really is a great example of uh, the nepotism in this company, which is, you know, uh, pretty strong. But that's how companies work. I understand, but, to, yeah. but they do it more than most, I think. I, well, they're in position to do it more than most. So, I mean, who who else is in position to do that? I mean, it's, you know, they... Maybe it says something about and something negative about the the idea of having active wrestlers. I mean, this used to be a big thing back in the day when active wrestlers would run companies. It's like you know, every time Dusty Rhodes would get hired, all his friends would get to run WCW. All his friends would get hired. Every time Hogan got hired, all his friends would get hired. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ole Anderson. So maybe this just is a negative thing that comes with having you know wrestlers in such high positions. So you know, but. uh I don't know. I mean, Rocky Romero runs New Japan, and I don't know if every single Rocky buddy gets a uh, or runs New Japan of America, I should say. And I don't know if every single Rocky buddy gets a prominent position. Um, you know, some of them get some some stuff, but it, it doesn't feel as egregious as this does. So, well, no, I, you, you I, can scream at your phone right now about Dick Togo and Gato, which is <laughs> really, look, it took him like what? It took him eight years to find a spot for his buddy. I mean, jeez. But <laughs> and, now, and now Takamichi Noku's back. Yeah, for for like for uh one tour hopefully. And, and boy did he uh apparently I didn't even see the match. Apparently he took an ass kicking. I I've heard that too. Yeah. League show, so <laughs> took some receipts. But yeah, I mean that's gross too because Taka did some uh you know so not to let New Japan off the hook. I mean Taka's back on a tour. Um, you know when uh you know he's not signed full time or anything. It doesn't sound like it's going to be full time. But he is on a tour. He is getting booked for the first time in a long time. And, you know, he did some gross shit with, uh, you know, where he was basically soliciting uh, Kaintai Dojo fans to sleep with them in exchange for tickets. Uh, I, I believe that's the accusation, which, you know, is also very gross. I mean, what else is there to say? So, yeah, he shouldn't be in New Japan. Uh, but, you know, Jay Lee and Jay Lethal should not be in AEW. But <laughs> they are because they know the right people. Yep. So, I mean, that was kind of how the world works, I guess. But yeah, AEW does it more than most, is, I guess, my point. But, you know, it is uh, it is something that happens lots of places, that is for sure. Uh, match number six for the AEW Women's World title. And I will say, I guess, the other difference between Taka and Jay is Taka is Minoru, Suzuki, Minoru Suzuki's pin eater. He's not getting brought out on a fucking pay-per-view to do a, you know, giant interview segment and then... Uh, immediately get a shot at a title. So I don't know. They they do seem to treat their uh their nepotism hires better as well. Uh but anyway, back to the show here. Match number six, uh the AEW women's world title. Britt Baker defeats Ty Conti in 15-16 to retain her title. Um you know this is this match was fine, but you know for a show called Full Gear, I thought it was wrestled in a half gear for quite a while. Har har uh, but then it did pick up. Uh, Britt hit an air raid crash on Ty on the apron. That did look brutal. But then uh, Ty kicked out back of the ring. 
Uh, Ty Conti hit the Ty KO, but then Britt kicked out. Uh, and then we got lots of interference from Jamie and Rumble at ringside, of course. Uh, and then Ty moonsaulted the two henchwomen. Uh, Britt was under there too, but also but escaped. Not a great moonsault, though. Ty looked like she kind of killed herself. And then we got another cutesy move named after herself, the DD Ty. And that didn't work either as Britt kicks out again. So uh, Britt Baker with the very specific, uh, you know, I guess, strength of being impervious to uh, names, name, or moves named after <laughs> a cutesy Ty Conti puns is a, you know, a very specific strength, but it does appear to be the case. And then Britt ends up pinning her with a flash pin at the end. Uh, pretty good. A little too long, like almost everything else on this show. But, you know, I didn't dislike it. I thought it was like a pretty fun little match. I went three and a quarter. You uh, failed to mention the Ty Conti, I sh- thought I had her pinned face. Oh. <laughs> which, which made, I don't know, three full appearances in this match in, in the 15 minutes. So, yeah. 15. Yeah. Um, I thought the match was fine. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, but yeah, the egregious NXT face um <laughs> was just like that. That bugged me a little bit. But yeah, I think this match was what I expected it to be. I guess when it comes down to it, so I think Ty Conti's pretty good. She's gotten a lot better, right? And I think everyone talks about that. And Britt Baker's still uh the you know the monster of the women's division. So she's. She's going to win matches like this until they really start building up um, Thunder Rosa, probably. So we'll see. We'll see what happens next for them. I have I have a hot take here, which I'm going to throw out there because I'm already pissing off lots of people on the show. I may as well uh, keep pissing them off. Britt Baker, you know, she had this match with, uh, with uh, God, <laughs> with what's her name? I never watched the match, so that's probably why I can't even name who it was against. Which one? The uh, one Thunder Rosa. everyone loved against yeah, Thunder yeah. Rosa? Yeah, Thunder Rosa. I don't know why I completely blanked on her name. She had an amazing match with Thunder Rosa, according to most people. Um, I never watched that match, and I will tell you why. Because I figured I would not like it anywhere near as much as uh, you know most people. So I kind of was like, why watch this match and like you know shit in everybody's cornflakes and get... Everybody pissed at me, and you know I might as well just not bother. It's like a, you know I, somebody else who generally shares my uh, sort of opinions on wrestling was like it was like every big American hardcore match we've seen, which people are way overrating for some reason. And I was like, okay, I, I don't really need to feel any great need to watch it. Um, I probably will watch it for the end of the year for match of the year purposes. People really do talk it up to that level. But regardless of whether or not you think that was like the greatest match ever or whatever. The fact is, it was a hardcore match, right? It was a no. It was like some kind of street fight, I think. It was unsanctioned. Okay, so she gets over doing this unsanctioned street fight, which everybody loves. And as far as I can tell, they have not put her in another one of those for the rest of the year. Like at the very least, every single one of these title matches is always just a regular wrestling match, and. Everybody seems to have decided that she's great based on the hardcore match without her ever actually being great in these women's title matches every month. You know, you got what I'm trying to say? Like, I don't think she's had a real standout, like, awesome performance in a regular wrestling match. So I guess my hot take is that uh, Britt Baker might be kind of overrated based on that one match, which, you know, was a very specific set of circumstances that don't. Uh, at all match the rest of the matches she's been having. So 
She's a great character. She's, I, I'm speaking strictly in ring. In yeah. Charisma, character, she is fantastic. In ring, you know, in regular wrestling matches, I, I'm not convinced that she's any kind of great worker still. So Sure. I don't think... Um, Some people don't talk her up that way. I don't yeah, right. And <laughs> I think she'll get she'll get pretty far uh, based on the character work. Yeah. Um, match number five, the match that I frequently forget happened on this show, uh, was Cody Rhodes and Pac defeating Andrade and Malachi Black in 1652. Um, I've ranged about this before, but the, the announcers putting over how great Cody is while he's getting booed out of the building every night and then arguing like, oh, the fans say he's gone Hollywood. Uh, he does have a reality show and a game show. Sounds like he's fucking gone Hollywood to me, actually. But I don't believe he's gone Hollywood for a second. That shit makes the announcers sound like dorks. That is WWE shit. You never want your babyface announcers, JR and Shivani, to be against the fans because it makes them look super uncool and it makes the promotion look super uncool. And if anything, it make, it'll probably make the Cody backlash grow. You know, not shrink if that's what if they even watch shrink. I know some people think Cody's playing like seven D chess and whatever. I I don't even know if I agree with that, but I, I don't really care either way. It doesn't it doesn't mean the announcers should be fucking if that's what he's doing. It doesn't mean he has to take the announcers down with him. So, um, so Cody and Pac they keep aggressively tagging each other in and out of the match. Uh, they're doing these hard blind tags for each other, so very aggressively tagging each other. Um, Arn Anderson at one point beat up Andrade's geek on the outside. Uh, this had some real good action when Pac was in there for a while. Um, but on the same time, even when Pac was in there, you know, with this good action, like the already, uh, kind of bad crowd by this point was just really dead for this one. Although I, this came after that six man street fight we're going to talk about in a second where they all, they did every move that it was ever invented in a wrestling match. So I guess I can't really blame the crowd for being dead for this one. Uh, but yeah, so Pac, he was looking for a tag from Cody. Cody was trying to recover on the outside. Uh, Cody just hits like a running clothesline on Black on the outside and gets just booed out of the fucking building. I love that. It was just really funny. And then Pac pins Andrade with the Black Arrow. Uh, this was fine. It was felt too long like everything else on the show. I went three stars. I do think I prefer this to the, I guess, the rumor that it was going to be a four-way. Yeah. So yeah, tag is always better. I, I think this was this was good in that way. I think the Cody stuff is confusing, honestly. Like I, I don't really understand what the point is going to end up being. Um, and yeah, overall the match was fine. Yeah, it's good. That's kind of all I got on it. It was, <laughs> it, it, it was good. I, I think, I don't know. I just don't know what it advanced. And and I feel like all four of these guys are just kind of like, this is the, this lane of the mid card and these four dudes. And um, I don't know how many more like per- permutations you could, you can have of this. That's going to be interesting. They just, they all feel very stuck. I hope they move on to other stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, match number four which was the uh, six-man tag team Falls Count Anywhere match. Uh, Christian Cage and Jurassic Express defeat Adam Cole and the Young Bucks in 22-20. Uh, you told me that was 22 hours, I would have believed you, because this match felt so fucking endless. So 
in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, I'm setting these things off. It's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, the first of all, why was this crowd chanting, We want tables after they had already brought tables out? It was one of the more bizarre chants I've ever heard. Like, th- this man has a table. He He's holding a table, and the crowd starts chanting, we want tables. It's like, do you, like, chant, I want dinner, when you're, like, sitting down to eat, like, already? I don't, it's just really bizarre. Like, why are you chanting that you want something you're already getting? Very, very weird. Um, so Adam Cole blades. Christian goes to give him a concerto, but he hands the chair over to Jungle Boy. Uh, tells him to do it. Jungle Boy takes like a million years for some reason, and the Bucks cut him off. Uh, we got some table bumps. Christian does hit a nice little balcony dive on Nick Jackson and the the two Stooges, uh, Nakazawa and Brandon Cutler, which that is kind of nuts to Christian's age. I gave him credit for that. Um, they suddenly just put like thumbtacks in Jungle Boy's mouth. Uh, that just felt kind of out of nowhere. And then they just pull a, you know, they super hit the thumbtacks into his mouth up to the big long set of them kissing Adam Cole first, as usual. Um, then 
they pull a ladder out under the ring. Even at this point, I'm already like, please, can this match be uh, just fucking end already, please? Um, Colt, Matt Jackson just starts fucking leaving at one point, which was very weird. It's like, what, he was abandoning Nick and Cole? I don't know if that was ever explained. Jungle Boy comes out of nowhere, locks him in STF, but Nick makes a save for him. And then Cole starts hitting low blows on everybody. They fight up to the stage where they just start doing more spots and uh, some dives not involving weapons. And that, honestly, when they when they stopped using weapons for a while, that was probably my favorite part of the match. Uh, Cole, though, it quickly gets ruined by the fact that they like start kicking out of every move ever invented. So Cole hits the Panama Sunrise on Jungle Boy, leaping off the edge of the fucking like the scaffolding, which that would have been an amazing finish. But it was not the finish. The pin got interrupted. Uh, and then Cole pulls out thumbtack knee pads. The match grinds to a fucking halt uh, when it was finally getting enjoyable. And they, well, they halted, like, sit down and put these knee pads on. They give Luchasaurus the BTE trigger. And I'm like, okay, well, at least this is, like, gonna end the match finally. But that's still not fucking finished. Or still not the fucking finish. And the guy who just took the Panama Sunrise off the fucking scaffolding makes the save. This is where I was like, fuck this match. Fuck this company. Fuck all these wrestlers. Uh, Jim Cornette deserves an apology notice. How do you take a Panama Sunrise off of scaffolding and fucking come back two seconds later to... uh, to kick to, to, to like to save your, your partner from another another giant move a three band BTE trigger with uh, thumbtack knee pads or spiked knee pads still not the finish. Uh, <laughs> Luchasaurus does a shooting star press off the ramp to the floor. Five thousand more moves, why not? And then Christian finally sets up the concerto again, gives the chair to Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy finally hits it again, and if anything, after. After doing everything move that was ever invented with every weapon ever invented, that feels anticlimactic of anything. Uh, but it's finally the finish. I gave this two stars. Uh, and again, that is just in like recognition of some cool spots. But uh, this sucked. Not as bad as the other street fight, but this still sucked. It was a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. They were. They did a lot of I things. I thought you were recapping that. Yeah, I can imagine so. Um, yeah, I don't know. I to be honest, like I need a Young Bucks match that's just a two on two tag match on a pay per view. Um, that goes like twelve minutes. Sure, I twelve to sixteen. I mean, if depending on the the opponent, but they're they are doing a lot of big stuff on these. You know, they had the cage match against the Lucha Bros, and now this, right? So. I don't know. I, I just need a, a pro, you know, I mean, even the young bucks are uh, a certain style, right. That's less traditional, I guess, uh, uh, less. Yeah. Traditional is probably the right word, but they, I need their, their big pay-per-view match. Like, I don't know. Like if I, it, I'm, I'm just kind of tired of the young bucks spots, right. Where what the last one, it was a shoe with the thumbtacks and this time it was the knee pads with the thumbtacks. Like it, it's I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm done. Let's move on. Let's go back to like, give us a, another cycle of just like young bucks are really good wrestlers. So, uh, and we'll see, but yeah, this didn't do, I don't, I don't think this did anyone in, in the match, any favors, 
just with how how much they tried to do with with this match so and it just didn't feel like it needed all that it didn't feel like it was that big of a, a feud or that big of a blow off i know it's been going on forever but i yeah i feel like it it out they outdid themselves in a in kind of a bad way uh, i think a video just started auto playing on me so i apologize for that uh if the, oh wait no that came in through my headphones so i guess it's probably fine you didn't hear nothing did you i did not all right awesome uh <laughs> the so the i mean i don't know i just i i i just like the young bucks like you said like they do every month every pay-per-view now they have to have some kind of like spectacular and it's like can can they just have a wrestling match like is that okay like can they just do a match with another team that like has a finish like normal human beings like i can't take this anymore like it just feels like either if it's not the two of them making epic drama faces with uh you know, Kenny and Hangman about how, you know, they don't want to fight their opponents in the wrestling match. It's having an epic cage match and which was awesome. That was, that match was awesome. Yeah, it was great. I gave that four and a half stars, but you know, or, you know, they, like you're not the champions anymore. I thought there was kind of, kind of going to be like a break from big epic young bucks. And instead they do this crazy fucking six man with balcony dives and, uh, knee pad fucking, uh, or, or spiked knee pad BTE triggers that somehow are not the finish. And, I don't know. I just, I, this team needs to calm the fuck down. I can't take it anymore. But, so I don't really have much else to say about it, I guess, but it's just, they, we, we all need a, we all need a breather. So. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, something simple maybe. Yeah. Uh, match number three was the world title eliminator final. Uh, Brian Danielson defeats Miro, uh, by referee's de- decision in 18, uh, eight, no, 1959, I should say. So Miro, he beat Brian down slowly. Uh, and that felt like that went on forever early on. It was not very exciting, even though Brian's selling is great as always. Um, the crowd was not really helping either. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> and this was like the first time it just felt like this was a pretty weak AEW pay-per-view crowd. You know, just really not used to hearing them be so quiet for a, uh, you know, such long stretches in the AEW pay-per-view. Why am I losing my voice when I haven't even done a show in two weeks? I can't I can't tell you, but apparently I am. Uh, <laughs> You're not in ring shape. I guess not. So at one point they start chanting, uh, let's go Miro. That kind of surprised me. Uh, and you could maybe even hear like some faint booing when Danielson like did a kip up at one point. Very strange. Uh, between that and them chanting for MJF in the opener, you know, and they also... And you can't really call Punk Kingston part of it. But, you know, very weird crowd by AW standards that we talked about, where they, they usually go way more of the face heel stuff than this. Uh, Miro got the game over on. They also made it to the ropes. I don't know if I like that that false submission tease there. It just felt like if Brian had... Like, it, like okay, I never felt like that was going to end the match because if Brian had tapped, this would have been up there with, like, Brock Cena for, like, you know, one-sided squashes, which... They were not going to do that clearly with, uh, you know, with Dan- with Brian Danielson after you know so soon after coming in. So, you know, it just it didn't. I didn't have feel any drama here because again, if Brian had actually tapped, it just would have been way too one sided. Um, Danielson though reverses it to the LaBelle lock uh, when Miro tried to put the game over right back on again. Miro was able to break it by force. That was pretty cool. Uh, and then he just starts hammering Brian with elbows on the mat, but Danielson catches him with an, a triangle. 
another cool spot when he's on the mat. Like he's as he's doing the, the pounding, basically, he catches his arm and turns it in the triangle. But Miro breaks that by gouging his eyes. Uh, but Danielson comes back and hits a DET off the top. He pulls Miro into a front guillotine, and the referee immediately stops it. A little bit of a weird finish. Like, why did he stop that that quickly, right? Uh, I did see a lot of people wondering about that. But, uh, you know, I thought this match was good, but a little disappointing. Uh, you know, it was a bit slow early, hurt by the live crowd not being as into it as I thought they would be. Like, you'd think, you'd, you wouldn't think Brian Danielson would already be a old hat to these people, but, you know, they just were not that into this match. So I went three and a half. I thought it was good, but uh, I, I was expecting better. Yeah, I I thought the match I thought it was good. I I think this was one of the matches that was most in question of who was going to win, right? And I think the intrigue was there in that way. Um, I like I want to say I like I really like their decision to have Brian win though because it made the main event feel more like anyone could win that. Yes, if absolutely. Miro, if Miro wins this, there's you're basically like okay, well it has to be Hangman. It's got to be doing, right. You're not doing any Miro, so right, 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 right. So. Um, I mean, Danielson's the best in the world right now. He's incredible. So, I mean, this wasn't by any means bad. And I think Miro is great too. Um, but yeah, it was, I think I'm with you in general where I, I expected this to be the match of the night and I don't think it was. Yeah. I don't Um, think it was really close. Right. And it's, but it was good. Um, it was, it was like the fourth best match on the show because I didn't like anything as much as the top three, including one more we're going to get to. But you know the it was there was a big gap between those three and this one for me. Yeah, it just I maybe it never got fully into gear, right? If you want to use the the pun again. <laughs> so and and the finish was flat. Um, I don't know what the story was there, what they were trying to do. So the finish, um, I think, affected kind of how I ended up feeling about the match. Obviously, it's the last thing I remember. So um, yeah, I think. I hypothesized that he was trying to hang on um, and they, he slipped or, or missed it. And then it ended up being this DDT and then he goes back for the guillotine. So, um, but yeah, I think that was what was kind of odd about the finish, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'd watch these guys fight again. I think there's better, uh, there's a better match in them. So yeah, and I, we'll, I, we'll see if sure they get there. there. I think for sure there is too. Uh, match number two the AW World Tag Titles, the Lucha Brothers defeat FTR in 1837 to retain. Um, Lucha Brothers had this very weird, like, military bombing intro. I don't even know what that was supposed to be, really. What, what the hell was it supposed to be? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it, like, they have these really cool entrances, but that one didn't land with me. Yeah. Of, like, what the point was. Yeah. Uh, this match just felt really disjointed to me. You know, both guys just kind of traded spots. There was like a lack of any any kind of flow to it, at least uh, to me. And, you know, the crowd got quite dead for FTR's heat period. Uh, you know, this match had a lot of trouble following the super hot opener we're about to talk about. And FTR, you know, they teased winning the, the AW tag belts using the the, the uh, belt shot with the AAA belt, which is apparently how they won the AAA titles. I, I didn't see that, but apparently that's how they won them. Uh, but then they hit the brain buster right after and Phoenix still kicks out. And again, this is another critique. I make a lot of AEW matches where like the number of kickouts here really started to feel absurd. Uh, where it's like, I don't know if every single tag title match 
you know, this one was kind of like not even, it didn't feel that like that big a deal to me. It clearly wasn't that big a deal to the live crowd. Um, it was in a match, you know, it was match two on the show. Uh, I don't know if every single one needs the WrestleMania kickouts like we had here. You know, spike pile driver, belt shots, and, you know, just felt on and on and on. And Lucha Brothers finally got the pin on the non-legal man after they both put masks on for, masks on for some reason. Who cares? Uh, I did not like this very much at all. Felt like it went on forever. It never did anything for me. I went two and a quarter stars, a below average match. Well, they put the masks on so that they could, they could be switch. Yeah. So the, yeah, so they could switch. So it, yeah. it, they're like, "Oh, you're putting the wrong guy. Who cares?" Well, that's, <laughs> I'm sure someone's they're gonna, gonna claim, care. Yeah, they're gonna claim it's a fucking whatever. Somebody's gonna care on Dynamite on Wednesday, right? So, um, yeah this this felt like a middle of the feud match. So that's not a blow off, and and it has a little less, you know, a little less behind it. So. I like the way these guys kind of counterbalance each other, but I don't know. I don't know that it's got a third match in it. So um, I expected this to be the end of the, the end of the feud, but I, clearly with the illegal man getting pinned, you got to figure we're going to do this one more time. So, and, and maybe that's the, the, I don't know, less, I don't know. Maybe that's the, the that's their perfect version of the match that we're finally going to get to because we're kind of doing a, a trilogy. Uh, and then the opener of the pay per view, uh, one of the the big three matches of the show. This one, this was my favorite match of the show, and this was the one I you know I like MJF and I like Darby, but I didn't, I didn't, this still blew me away. Uh, MJF defeats Darby Allen in twenty one fifty six. So. There's a weird intro with Darby Allen driving a car. It's all in black and white. He picks up a guy in an MJF cardboard mask and then I guess kills him in a car crash that he walks away from. And then he lights the car on fire. Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, the match itself, they do a lot of mat wrestling to start. You know, the storyline going in was MJF said he could beat Darby with a headlock takeover. So he's doing a lot of headlock takeovers. And there's a really nice arm drag off the ropes from Darby at one point, like almost like Lucha style. Uh, JR, not his finest moment, calls them, quote, two of the four pillows instead of pillars. Uh, I guess he's not a big 90s All Japan watcher. I guess uh, Jim Ross did not watch a lot of 90s All Japan with the four pillars because he accidentally said pillows. Uh, Darby goes for the coffin drop on MJF on the apron. MJF moves. So Darby just fucking murders himself on that apron. MJF works over his back for a bit. So as I was saying before we got cut off there, whatever the hell happened, uh, the, the crowd actually started chanting for MJF, which is pretty rare for AEW crowds. Um, you know, there was a dueling chant with like, you know, let's go MJF, let's go Darby. And the MJF people were actually pretty loud. Uh, can you ever recall crowds chanting for MJF to that degree? I don't think I ever have seen it before. And no, not well, not like that, and certainly yeah. not you know chant either. So I mean, potentially, no. I, I mean, not not in the positive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he gets obviously gets huge reactions, but um, yeah, that was the first time I'd seen that. Uh, but yeah, so that so the the announcers did speculate he paid some of the fans off the cheer for him. That was pretty funny. Uh, MJF tried for a tombstone off the top rope, but Darby countered it into a diamond dust, you know, the flipping stunner, which uh, ex- I'm very disappointed in Excalibur. He just called it a regular stunner. It's like, sir, 
you're supposed to be a Japanese wrestling nerd. You're supposed to know this diamond dust. Uh, Masao Tanaka would be very upset. But yeah, that was a very cool spot. Uh, MGF, though, does get a tombstone off the apron, but he's selling his own knee, as he had been for a while after he landed on them. Uh, I will say his selling was maybe a little over the top for me. Basically, like, TZ is going to start crying as he limps over the derby. But, you know, I, I get it for him where it's like he's not supposed to be a tough guy, you know. He, he is, he's a heel and he's supposed to be kind of a baby. So it, it does make a little more sense for him than maybe it would for some other people. But a little over the top. Um, we get a sequence of cradles and the big rolling cradle at the end, uh, which the crowd goes really nuts for that. And the sequence ends really well with Darby finally reversing MJF into a code red for the Sunset Flip Powerbomb for another very close near fall. Uh, MJF bails to the floor, so Darby coffin drops him all the way out there on the floor. Uh, it wasn't his best coffin drop. He almost didn't seem to land on him at all. But, uh, you know, it was what are you going to do? That can't all be hits. Uh, <laughs> it can't all be the greatest coffin drop ever or whatever. Uh, he tries for a second one, but MGF gets his knees up. Uh, Sean Spears and Wardlow come out to try to help MJF, but Sting cuts them off on the ramp with his bat. MJF then gets Darby's skateboard, passes it to Darby, basically tells him to go ahead and hit, go ahead and hit me with the DQ. Uh, that's how badly he wanted just the win here. Uh, Darby gives it the ref, but that lets MJF uh, hit Darby with the uh, Ring of Death. And he gets the headlock takeover for the win. I did like that he did the headlock takeover at the end. It was like, yeah, that was no, awesome. He, he was like, I beat you with this stupid this headlock takeover uh, because I knocked you out first, obviously with a weapon. But I went four and a quarter on this as well. Uh, pretty fucking awesome by the end of it. You know, even if the I thought the crowd started saying this is awesome a little too soon, like it was not yet quite awesome. <laughs> and across both these shows, I'm like. We got to like calm down. These this is awesome chance. Like there should be a rule that if you have not been reacting to the match for like the past 10 minutes, you don't get a chance. This is awesome immediately after that. It's like, it clearly wasn't awesome because you weren't even fucking reacting to it. But anyway, it was honestly maybe even bigger problem in the battle of the Valley show we're about to talk about, but yeah, they, they both worked incredibly hard here. Uh, and I thought this match was just like, this is my favorite match of the show. Very uh, close between this, the Kenny, page main event and the uh punk in kingston but I, I think this was my favorite so these two guys tore the house down here so yeah and the show started really well and ended really well there's just a lot of stuff in between that was not yeah. not very good yeah and this felt like the perfect opening match for this particular pay-per-view which i think was geared towards um like fans or even super fans of the promotion i don't know that this was geared to be the first pay-per-view that anyone buys right so i think that that putting these guys out there first was the right move and i think that that minneapolis crowd i mean they may have genuinely thought it was awesome but this was just the first big aew match that they're seeing in their market so um and i don't know that there was as many like fly-ins as you would do you would see in vegas or chicago and i don't know that's what they were depending on so um yeah, love this match. I think Darby is a star. MJF is a star in a, in a certain way too. So, I mean, this was actually a really big match when it comes down to the kind of the, I guess, the history as well as the future of AEW. So, um, glad to see MJF win too. I think Darby's one of those guys that he's not necessarily quite as immune to losing as someone like Eddie Kingston, but he's in that same lane. 
that he can lose and he's still cool as hell. So um, had a blast. Love this match. It was, it was really truly the, the perfect kickoff for this pay-per-view. Uh, so there you go. There's our full gear review, which I'm sure was a lot less positive than some other full gear reviews. And I'm kind of worried about my podcast reviews now because <laughs> some AEW fans go very hard. But, you know, I mean, on balance, there was plenty of stuff I really enjoyed here. I just am not of the opinion that this was like uh, one of the best shows ever or whatever. It just really was not close to level for me. I mean, you know, f- All Out was like one of the best uh, American pay-per-views I'd ever seen. This was this was a a very uneven show that had some stuff I really loved and some stuff I really hated. So you know, probably probably a thumbs up show on balance, but uh, there definitely were some moments watching this where I was like, I never want to watch American wrestling again. <laughs> uh, so there you go. All right, so we did a lot longer on Full Gear than I thought we would. So let's get to Battle in the Valley uh, from the same night uh, on uh, Saturday, November thirteenth. This time from the San Jose uh, Civic Center uh, in San Jose. Oh, did you watch the uh, the pre-show match for Full Gear? I did not. I didn't watch it either, so we can't review it. Uh, but yes, yeah, so there you go. Um, but yeah, so this show. Uh, it, so the, it did an announce attendance of 1,655. I thought I saw them say they were all, like getting close to 3,000 tickets sold, so that was a little weird. Oh, I don't know where you would have seen that. I never saw that, so. Yeah. But... Well. It could happen. Um, yeah, I think the uh, the building was set up for just a little over 20 or 2,000, uh, maybe 2,100. So um, they didn't quite get to no vacancy. There you go. Uh, the opener, which was Josh Alexander against Uriamura. Actually, now we can start from the main event again. So I'll put the order of my notes around. Uh, one thing to know about this show in general, the production was awful. I think that's something New Japan of USA, they they have to figure out this production because, you know, Resurgence was not great, especially at the start. But this show was consistently just even way worse than Resurgence. I mean, you know, like the frame rate was fucked up. It looked really like it looked like it was like at 480 or something. Or like it, it looked like it was in like less than standard definition. I mean, it just it was a really awful looking show. I mean, the production just felt like you're watching a 2004 Ring of Honor show or something. I mean, just really not, maybe not that bad, but, but really bad. Um, and I just, you know, they, they got to figure that out because these American shows should not look this much worse than their Japanese shows. I don't know if it's fixed now on the replay or anything like that. Uh, I was watching the uh, the fight replay on the fight TV replay on the English commentary uh, on Sunday. So I don't know if the new the new replay upload to New Japan World is fixed at all, um, but it just this looked off. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they've fixed the version that's on um, New Japan World, but that seems to happen with these ones that they poured over to fight um, yeah. for whatever reason. And and those are the New Japan of America shows, but then they have a clean copy. So like, part of me thinks that it's the connection. Or you know whatever the uplink, so it's it's a bummer because these shows yeah. are good, I think, right? And but so much of the conversation and you know so much of the lack of appeal of these shows ends up being that they're hard to watch because they're just choppy and yeah. or weird or like they look like 
I mean, they look like a GCW show, right? Like yeah. that's what all everything I ever watched from that company looks like because it's all on Fight TV. So I don't know, maybe it's Fight TV. Um, yeah. cause anything live I watch from them kind of looks the same. Um, but this is not what new Japan fans expect, right? We're, we're used to good, really good production. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's a shame. Um, you know, the, the other like big macro observation, I, I did, I did think this show was quite a bit weaker than resurgence. I just, you know, there was a, there was like one match here that I thought was really awesome. And then a bunch of stuff that just kind of was there. And, you know, a, a big macro observation about this show is the people in the building who are obviously must be pretty hardcore New Japan Western fans to want to come out to see them on the same night as an AEW pay-per-view. And, you know, they were not into the strong people. I mean, they just were not that in to, you know, like Fred Rosser and them got almost no reaction. Like uh, Team Filthy got very Team little reaction. Team Filthy got some reaction. A little bit. Not yeah. like... Not like biggest push act on the show or anything like that. No, is, well, Okada was on the show, so right, right, right. But I'm, I mean, they're like the biggest push acts. Um, oh, you're saying that they are the biggest push yeah, act on the show? Yeah, I'm strong. Right. So, you know, um, I, I don't know. Like, it, it's a very I totally lost my train of thought because Quinlan texted me something very weird. Um, it's a very, <laughs> it's a like it's weird seeing them come out and get like a little bit of reaction. Um, you know, like the the guys who got reaction in the show were people who have wrestled in New Japan, right? And you know, Okada was treated like a god, which he always is in America. Uh, but you know, Ishii was treated like you know, like uh, you got a big reaction. Uh, you know, I, it just the the difference in reaction between the top Japanese stars and the strong regulars was pretty jarring. And even a guy like Will Ospreay, who's obviously wrestled in Japan a lot. If anything, he feels like he's been hurt by being on strong all this time and not being uh, in Japan for all these months. Cause the crowd did not, you know, they were, he had his fans, but he did not seem as over on TV here as you know, he was in Philly when I was there. So I don't know if it's just this crowd does not watch that. It was clearly not a strong watching crowd or anything, but they, they did not seem that into much of anything until, you know, you got to like what once Okada came out and the crowd started going crazy for him in that match, it was like, okay, this is a, this is a crowd that came to see like one guy <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's really I, I think the main event too. Um, yeah. I think that was a, obviously for a long time, it was the only match um, announced for the show. So, but yeah, I kind of agree. I felt like they got pretty good reactions. Um, Mm, I, I thought Team Filthy was like pretty over um, that, and that people were very interested in seeing that that act as a whole. And, and when we talk about that match, obviously that match was fun, like really fun. Yeah, so. I, I like I like that match quite a bit. And they and they did come off like they came off like stars, but like mm-hmm. I did. But then they all almost like when I was watching them, I was like, well, why isn't the crowd reacting to them? As big as I'm imagining they should in my head, maybe. Sure. But well, it was a small know. crowd. Comes down to yeah. it. I mean, I mean, 1600s. Good. Don't get me they wrong. They made a lot of noise for Okada. <laughs> they made a lot of noise for Okada. So, yeah, I, I think, I think you're right to a point, and I, but I think that changes as soon as those dudes show up in Japan. Like this, I agree too. Cast characters. Kind of, yeah, that was kind of the point I was making before, where I think uh, these guys need to go. Once these guys go to Japan and really get over in Japan. 
I think there'll be more over in America as a result. So, you know. Uh, the main event here was for the never open white title. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii defeats Jay White in 2840. So Jay fails in just his second defenseless title. How the fuck is this only his second defenseless title? Feels like he's had this thing for a million years. But I guess that's... He won it in... What was that, May? Don't talk to yeah. me, right? It feels like it feels even longer than that somehow. But yeah, but that's still like five months or whatever, right? Uh, yeah, that would have been yeah, still almost six, yeah, yeah, almost six months. So uh, he made one defense in six months. Who is this one defense against? David Finley at Resurgence. Oh yeah, Resurgence. Yeah. Okay, because he's not defending that on <laughs> Strong, even though he's having matches. None yeah. of his matches on Strong event for the Never Title. It is interesting. I wonder if they just decided the the Never Title was too important to have on Strong. I mean, it kind of seemed that way. Yeah. Or they don't want to like, you go, maybe if you want to be more uh, diplomatic to strong, they don't, they only want to have the strong title defended on strong. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And well, they've done the U S and, and strong, but I think they did the U S before the strong existed. So, yeah. um, and you, you don't see the strong title defended on like this show. Cause this is not strong. Yeah. They only defend on the actual strong. Yeah. Yeah. So and I think that's an interesting strategy, but yeah, I mean, it does feel like they kind of faded away on using the Never Openweight Championship, even though they set up this match at um, the strong tapings that I was at. Yeah. So interesting, though. But yeah, so Jay White, I mean, this is going to go down as one of the uh, the less memorable Never title reigns, I would think. I mean, just, you know. The, I don't uh, know. I mean, the yeah. The on rest title reign. <laughs> well, right, exactly. So this will be a maybe really, that is maybe that is memorable. I don't maybe that's what you mean. In in a way, I I, I I don't know that Jay White ever like fit what people want to see from the Never Title, right? Yeah. So like I don't think people were excited that he wanted to see where he was going to go, even though it ended up being this kind of lost title reign. And because we're right back to you know the world is healing, as people like to say, because Ishii's yeah. the never the never champ. So. <laughs> This is what his sixth reign as champion. Oh gosh, you're putting I mean, me on the spot. <laughs> I want to. I, I want to say six. Let's find out. Maybe I'm way overstating it, but I really. No, I it's. Uh, I'm sure it's up there. Yeah. So Tomohiro Ishii won the never title. Yeah, because he says he captured it a record five times. Unless they already updated that. Let's see. Yeah, six times. Wow. I'm, I feel impressed with myself. Look I pulled that really. I pulled that really out of my ass. I was just thinking, like, I think he already held it five times. I think this would be six times. So uh, there you go. That's why they, they pay me the big bucks, folks. There it is. Like, hey, yep. I mean, no one. No one pays me. <laughs> but uh, there you go. Tell me here, Ishii, uh, six-time never champion now. He already had the record at uh, F5. I believe the next person uh, will probably be Godo, I would think. Yeah. So okay. So he and Goto were tied. I did not realize Goto had a five reign. I thought he had like four. So Ishii and Goto were tied at five reigns each. Um, Ishii had him beat though on combined days as champion. He was already ahead of him. Uh, Goto was at four twenty four, and Ishii was, I guess, at four. Uh, if this was updated today, yeah, Ishii was at like four sixty three. Um, but Goto actually has has the record still for most combined defenses. He has seven defenses uh, across five reigns. And Ishii had only six defenses and six reigns. So, yeah, nobody holds his belt for very long, folks. 
Yeah, this um, is the this is the belt actually that has the greatest percentage of title changes per their the defenses. So yeah. it it bounced around a lot for a long time there, and um, now you still don't get a bunch of like long defense reigns, right? I mean, even Tanahashi and Jay White, like they only defended once. I think yeah. Each. So the so the most defenses for one reign. Uh, I'm gonna I'm put you on the spot again. Do you want to try to? There's three wrestlers tied. Do you want to try to guess who they are? Uh, Goto. Nope. Really? No, I don't know. I can't. Uh, Masato Tanaka in the very first reign. Oh yeah, had, that's a hell of a. That was a long reign. He had four defenses over the course of 314 days. Ishii, uh, in one in his first reign when he won it in New Beginning Osaka, had four defenses in 138 days. So he had four. He had four defenses in his first rate. reign. Yeah, four defenses in his first reign, and then I, th- I guess only two over the next uh, four reigns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of crazy. And then the last guy is Minoru Suzuki. So that reign sure. everybody hated uh, when he won it in 2017, did all his gimmick matches. He had four defenses as well. So you know, three way tie there. That nobody. Hopefully, somebody can break it because I hate seeing a three way tie. Uh, for the top of any, I don't uh, think Ishii's gonna break it <laughs> on this I run. I think they're gonna I mean, end up needing it. Masao Tanaka still has the longest reign at three fourteen, so no one's ever beaten the first reign for longest reign. Uh, but yeah, for the fences, yeah, three way tie. So uh, we'll see if anyone ever beats that. There's amazing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Fucking reigns with zero defenses. <laughs> That's insane. That's uh... Ishii did it three times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Suzuki did it once in 2020. Shibata did it in 2016 when he won it back from Nagata. Uh, Nagata did it obviously himself. Taichi's first reign 2018. Uh, Makabe Makabe's first reign 2015 when he vacated it. Taichi again in 2019 when he won it in and lost it back to Ishii. Yoda did it twice. Uh, November 2018 and January 2020. Abushi did it in December 2018. We lost it to Oscar. Oh, yeah. Evil, when he won it, uh, when he won it at Power Struggle, we lost it back to Shibata uh, in Singapore. Michael Elgin, when he won it in that horrible three way match, oh, he yeah. lost it, lost it, uh, lost it right back to, uh, I think, Taichi. Uh, and then Ishii, as a main defense. So I count Ishii's actually. So the, that one is currently a zero defense rate. It might not, might not end up being one. And then Jeff Cobb, when he won the belt, G1 Supercard and lost it to Taiji. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so at least 14 zero defense reigns, maybe soon to be 15. If uh, Ishii also loses it. So, yeah. Well, and we'll probably figure out who he's, I don't know how they're going to set that up. Yeah. Cause uh, they don't have any other shows left until world Tokyo dome that aren't, tournament shows so yeah Ishii's not booked yeah uh but yes the match itself uh Ishii beat him in 2840 with the vertical drop brain buster i did not love this uh, i thought it was uh you know how how do i say this very methodically paced uh jay white type of match for the first 10 minutes especially and just felt very slowly paced throughout um i don't know what the deal was here but i thought this was easily the weakest J Ishii match I've ever seen. It's just usually a pairing that really, you know, usually delivers for me, you know, re- delivers for me a lot. And um, they've had some awesome matches together. I just did not think this was, uh, you know, was one of them. And I thought the live crowd, you know, was just goes absolutely fucking dead 
just when they should probably be peaking for the big stretch run, which I didn't think uh, really, you know, reflected that well in the match. They did finally get back into it when Ishii kicked out of the J Brainbuster one. That was a cool spot. And he started staggering around like a crazy person before collapsing back down to the mat. Uh, the crowd then starts a very tepid, this is awesome chant, which again, to my role, you should have to be cheering for a match before you can chant, this is awesome, which they were not like right before that. And then things do pick up with the uh, the final stretch run. Jay takes a very nice lariat from Ishii for a near fall. And then Ishii follows up with the brain buster to win the title. So a pretty huge pop from the crowd. They did love Ishii winning the belt. Uh, the never belt can finally come back to Japan. Uh, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it back in Japan. It just felt like something's missing, you know, something's been missing, but yeah, well, overall, yeah. I mean, any sort of secondary title was missing for a while. That's true. Uh, and like they, they've been using the U S title, I guess lately, but it just, that just feels weird as a second. As a second well, that was another Tanahashi <laughs> transition reign. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, this match I thought was supremely disappointing. Uh, I just, I don't know. Just didn't do much for me. I went three and a quarter. It's as high as I could go, really. I just was not into this at all. Yeah, I don't think it was their best by any means. I think my favorite match of theirs was the G one. G one, yeah. Well, G one, where the one where he went, where, he where Ishii, yeah, where Ishii stopped Jay White yeah. from from going on to the final. So, um, and then they've had two kind of I don't know less great matches since they they wrestled that Castle Attack earlier this year, and now and now this match. I don't know, you know, I mean, it's hard to say that this match w- was the right main event for this crowd because when you bring in someone like Okada and then you have him face someone new, um, obviously you're not going to put that in the main event, but that's going to, you know, generate some intrigue. So, All right, folks, so we got cut off again. Chris is in the middle of talking about Ishii and Jay White, but uh, we're not sure where he got cut off exactly, so he'll just kind of try his best to jump into it. Uh, you know, Zencaster being a bitch tonight. <laughs> i'm most intrigued by what's happening with jay white based on the fact that he's no longer a title holder so like i'm i don't i guess I was, what i was kind of saying is that i'm curious if this is just ishii getting the title back to japan or if this is getting the title off of jay white so um, i'm you know i don't want to jump into the rumors it adds to a storyline right if the rumors are a storyline mm-hmm so, you know, it definitely uh, plays into it, let's say. I mean, I think it plays into it either way, right? But, yeah. I mean, certainly it's possible that they'll um, kind of run back with it, whatever they were trying to do last January, where Jay, you know, acted like he was leaving. So I, I don't know why you would do that again, but maybe they think there's more to it. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into the semi-main event here, which was Kazuchika Okada defeating Buddy Matthews in 1623 with the Rainmaker. Uh, the crowd, they went absolutely insane for Okada in a way they didn't come close to reacting to anyone else on the show up to this point. Uh, you know, they just see him as a completely different level of star than anybody else. So, you know, uh, it, it was just really amazing. Um, then the... The match is a bit slow and a bit awkward to start. Uh, both guys just kind of throw elbows and they wander around. Uh, Buddy does a pretty cool sunset flip off the second rope into a buckle bomb. 
And then he follows that up with a uh, repeated elbows uh, to the head, Danielson style. Okada sells that he's out. The referee is checking on him. But then Okada comes back uh, pretty quickly after that with the normal landslide tombstone into Raymaker combo. And that gets to pen. Uh, I- I've seen takes from this match like all over the place. I'm definitely in the camp that this was pretty disappointing. It was a good match, but it did not blow me away at all. I went three and a half on this. So I felt like this was the first version of the match that these guys are going to have. And I think that, you know, I don't know that anyone sees that Buddy Matthews is going to, you know, literally change things for New Japan, but I feel like there's more to this arc with Okada, right? I don't think you bring a guy in and you put him in the ring with Kazuchika Okada first if you don't plan on him being a part of your plans going forward. So I think that's why we didn't get 100% out of this match. And I think that they have a a big main event style match in them. And and this just wasn't the spot for that. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, they probably do have a better match in them. That's for sure. Uh, Match number six on the show was, oh, I should mention also, actually, the the post-match angle where Osprey comes out, confronts Okada, tells him, you can challenge the real world champion. Uh, Okada says, I won't challenge you, but you can challenge me. And then Osprey finally says the winner of Okada and Shingo can face him on January 5th. Um, And Okada agrees to it right away. I hated this. I hated this on so many different levels. I hate when wrestlers can just like book these insanely complicated things on the fly. Like why does New Japan, you know, the people who in canon run New Japan, the New Japan uh, board of directors, champions. That would be the IWGP. There you go. The IWGP committee, right? That's the thing. Yes. And they, why don't they give a fuck that Will Ospreay has been running around this fake world title for like, you know, four months. Why are they okay with Will Ospreay booking himself in the main event of the Tokyo Dome against the winner of Okada and Shingo? Why, and most of all, why was Shingo Takagi not here? I'm sure there has to be some like real life reason why he's not here. But, it, you know, like I think, I don't know if I should say this out loud. <laughs> Maybe he was supposed to be there, right? But he couldn't get there. Uh, I'm not saying I got that from anybody, but I'm just going to say, you know, maybe he was supposed to be there. Um, Regardless, though, of whether he was supposed to be there or wasn't, the fact that he wasn't there made this come off so fucking flat. It's like the actual world champion, the man who is the actual IWGP world heavyweight champion is not here. So what you have are two guys both carrying around belts that they are not the holders of challenging each other without the actual world champion involved. It just came off so stupid to me. Uh, just a terrible angle. And, you know, they. I, I am totally on team Tetsuya Naito on this one. I, I know, I'm already really surprised. But team Naito <laughs> on this one, where he says this angle's stupid, the fans don't know what's going on, and even the wrestlers themselves look like they don't know what's going on. And it just it's a very stupid, convoluted angle. And not having Shingo there just makes it even dumber. So, uh, yeah, I coming into this match, I expected or coming into the show, I guess I expected Shingo to show up when Osprey did and pop the crowd. Um, but, uh, you know, and then also then, you know, the three of them have their little powwow in the middle of the ring. Um, 
but once then I heard Shingo was on Japanese commentary and I was like, oh, bummer. Because <laughs> I knew you knew this angle was coming. Like, right. You knew they were going to set something up for Wrestle Kingdom here. Um, it's the last big show before anything. So they had to get the main event set. So, um, but yeah, I agree. It kind of, it, I think anyone who's been paying attention kind of could see where this was going and that this was what was going to happen. Um, but it's a shame that they couldn't get all the parties involved in the ring together. Cause I guess now maybe we see that at the road to Tokyo dome. Yeah. Maybe. maybe? Yeah. Right. And like, why? Why is Osprey the one who gets to face the winner? I mean, he's well, not right. the champion, right? Shingo is, is it, the champion. And well, why did Jay White get to go on January fifth yeah. last year? Well, I mean, right? that, that also made no sense. Everybody complained about it, so right. Uh, you know, it's one of these things where I hope people keep the same energy, even though it involves uh, their fucking golden boy here, Will Osprey. But you know, and, and Kazuchika Okada, who lots of people are excited to see win the belts back and stuff, which. Uh, you know, I'm less excited than some people on that, I'm sure. But uh, I think people like that Okada is good again. Yeah. 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 But I don't know. Um, it's just one of these things where, like, I feel like some people give the convoluted nature of this angle more of a pass than they would if it involved, let's say, Tetsuya Naito and Kota Ibushi. Put it out there, because I feel like there's less pushback on this. I guess you could also argue maybe it's just because people are used to this convoluted stuff now, but I feel like there are some people on the internet, and I'm not going to name names, who are less uh, complaining a lot less about this convoluted multi-day setup with Tetsuya, with uh, Kazuchika Okada and Will Ospreay than they did with uh, you know Naito, Ibushi, and Jay White last year. So, you know, just... Uh... And Shingo Takagi is also a favorite of uh, a lot of people too, so... Just throwing that out there and the world can get mad at me if they want to. I think you said it somewhere in there that people are just kind of used to it and they expect it. They expect something, some sort of mini tournament for these two nights. I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out there too. I want to throw this out there too. This one's dumber than uh, the double titles. This is my opinion, but I see, I don't (laughs) mind this. I don't mind this one. Honestly, I think they all have like different belts and except Osprey has the same bell and it's just so fucking like, Oh, Osprey Osprey has an actual point. Like he never lost the title. Osprey has an actual point. He He fucking was, but he was told show up and defend your title. And he said, I don't want to do that. And they stripped him. Like they've stripped every champ. Like this is not some new rule. They made up for Will Ospreay. Like when John Moxley got stripped of the U.S. title, he did not show up for the fucking, I'm the real U.S. champion. I've never lost the belt because uh, they, they didn't there was strip a, him. At least they did strip him. Remember when I, when, no, no, no. I, you're thinking of a different stripping. When, when Moxley couldn't oh, make when it. Oh, when he couldn't show up to King of Wrestling. Right. Because that's yeah. the rule. If you can't there's a match show book. up. Right. If there's a match booked and you can't show up or you won't show up, this is a very consistent New Japan rule. John Moxley, John Moxley has a way better excuse than Will Ospreay. There was a fucking hurricane and he couldn't make the fucking <laughs> he couldn't make it to Tokyo. So they 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 still stripped him of the title and they made it uh you know Lance Archer against I think Juice Robinson, right? Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they they had the title match. And John Moxley didn't walk around with a fucking phony U.S. title like, oh, I'm still the real champion. It's like, this is a very well-established thing. Togi Makabe got shipped the Never title because he had the fucking flu. All more, like, 
you know, legitimate reasons than, uh, you know, Will Ospreay getting his fucking feelings hurt or whatever the hell happened uh, during the, the Gaijin unrest shit. So, I don't know. I think, they, they, I get it. He's a heel. I, I understand that. It's just a stupid, it's a very stupid angle. It's like, it's not 1992. He's not Rick Martell. I don't need to, you know, or, or Shawn Michaels or whatever. I don't need to see this fucking, uh, you know, fake belt shit. It's just it's such a stupid angle. I don't, I don't know. I don't like it at all. But, all right. And then you have, and then you have Okada with another belt. Where he did not win. Okada, you are like you have less claim to that belt than even Will Ospreay has to the world title belt. And it was like when he started bringing that belt out, I'm like, wh- why would you want to add another belt to this mix? Just very bizarre. It's like he and he never had a good excuse for that. He's just like, oh well, you know, uh, I like this belt. And uh, <laughs> you're gonna have, like, what else? He, I think he muttered something about how Abushi never lost his belt, and it's the only real belt to him. He ties it back to the Bushi um, putting the two belts together, and he, yeah, it's it's it it that's it's messy. It's a mess. I mean, just a complete mess, and you know, doesn't really make a ton of sense. And none of this like does anything for January eighth either. Like, who is going to be not the, yet, the right? Who is going to be the challenger for January eighth? Because I've heard some people say, "Oh, Shingo is going to lose to Okada." And then Okada's going to lose to Osprey, and then Shingo will challenge Osprey, which that sounds awful. I hope they don't do that. Oh yeah, well that would be the nuts. That would be the match, but um, yeah, I hope they don't do that. The well, we're going to go to January fourth and fifth with no main event for the eighth. That'd be fucking terrible. Yeah, that's unless they're doing the eighth like it's New Year's Dash. Then why call it Wrestle Kingdom? To sell tickets? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think they'll do it like New Year's. Yeah, I don't think it'll be Mystery Vortex by any means. But I mean, they're gonna have a tough time setting up a lot of stuff because there's not there's not that much time. Yeah, and there's no. I mean, you're really bogged down with this double uh, tournament tour that's yeah. happening. So we'll see. I don't know. I feel like it all came together pretty quick last year too. So I shouldn't be too terribly surprised but yeah they're they're gonna have to run their angles on youtube which already like that looks so like shingo did his little like one minute emergency promo and it was like hey i'm the champion you know Uh, (laughs) i want to fight both of you i guess or osprey wants to fight me great and it's like what you're like he came up like such a fucking afterthought I mean, even he says in his promo, he's like, oh, these two have some sibling rivalry going on. I'm like, yeah, which you're not a part of, and you're the fucking world champion. It's just very, like, uh, I don't know. It just felt like he was a third wheel here, where it's like, could you fucking broadcast that Shingo's losing to Okada anymore? But it makes him feel like such a lame duck champion. Uh, Yeah, he does kind of feel that way in the mix with the, with these guys. So, And I'm pretty convinced Ibushi... I think there's a good chance Ibushi was supposed to win the title between um, I, I, yeah. the G1 and, and Wrestle Kingdom. So and you know what? I don't mind that he didn't because I don't I don't really think he deserves to be lame duck champion, man. And it feels like uh, I don't know. It feels like that would be a pretty shitty thing to do to him after he unified these belts together and then lost it to Osprey in his first defense. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Let's have Naito show up with the white belt again. Why not? Let's keep I mean, it, keep it isn't that the next thing to happen, right? <laughs> Somehow keep that belt makes its way back. Or what? I mean, what are we going to do? Is Naito going to win the G1 next year? And that's 
going to be his representation of it. I don't know. Who was making fun of this and said Tanahashi should show up with the U30 and call it the over 40? Oh, yeah, I don't I know. Was, I don't know who was doing that. I remember said, I remember the chat, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who said that. But yeah, it's so stupid. Yeah, very stupid. I don't I truly don't mind the Osprey thing. I think that that's just like his heelish way of getting back into the title, you know, picture after coming back. So I, I, I don't mind that one. And Okada being kind of a crazy person and carrying around a belt. Like, I don't, maybe that doesn't bother me either, but I do feel like there's a chance that that's, this is some sort of lane for the IWGP heavyweight championship and the IWGP world heavyweight championship to coexist, which that would be crazy to me. Like you might as well just take the world title belt and light on fire then. Cause like who the fuck is going to care about this world title belt they already don't like when the real heavyweight title still exists. Right. I feel I mean, that like that would, would, that would be, be a, a very challenge. bad idea. Yeah. Very bad idea. So, so, I mean, it's already a bad idea to put it on Okada and like have him <laughs> carried around, I think, yeah. you know, but like, I, I guess it makes the stakes all the same for everyone. Like, but if Okada wins, what's he going to be like? Okay. I got, I got what I needed out of this old belt that I carried around for 720 days. And <laughs> he's going to just pick the other belt. Like, no, that I don't know. Like, <laughs> Is Okada? I mean, if, they, if they just seal the world title and pretend it never happened, I wouldn't really blame them. But I, they, they might be doing that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That sounds crazy to me, but it's less crazy to me than trying to have them both exist at once. I yeah. Say well, well, I think yeah. if they both existed at once and they had a good structure around that, it just becomes the IC again. You know, but, but the world's gonna end up being the IC, right? Well, that's what I yeah. I, I agree actually. <laughs> just, Which would be I fine, I guess. But it's a stupid name. You're gonna call your second most important belt in the company the world heavyweight title. I don't know. I didn't <laughs> it's do it. Stupid. It's, it's, it's fucking stupid. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, and the Osprey thing to go back to that. I, I I get that he's a heel and all that, but like it just makes him look like a fucking idiot to me. It's like you're walking around with this toy belt that you never fucking you know that clearly is not the real world title but you can yell about how you're a real world champion all the time obviously everybody knows Shingo's the actual champion and it's like I, I don't know it's like it's it's mid-card heel shit to me it's like ah oh, look at this moron with his fake belt it just it, I don't know it's like why why is he doing it it just doesn't make any sense to me so it's like we all know you deserve a rematch I mean for this belt you never lost I mean you to carry around a toy belt with you and pretend you're the champion when you're not well Disgusting. to be fair the belt was made by the same person that yeah, made the first belt but it's not <laughs> the actual belt well who knows i actually think the yeah. one uh shingo has is not the actual belt no no no, no. they're both no. the actual belt they're both made by the same the same guy but i think the one that osprey has is the ratio the size ratio that they actually want um because like the side plates are a lot smaller and it actually looks uh, a lot more normal. Um, the Shingo one is so big and like clunky. So I think if they end up sticking with the world title, I think the one Osprey has is the one people are going to carry. But that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, I only know this that because I, I fucking talk, hate. Talk. I don't want to talk about belts no more. All right. <laughs> Why do you know that? I'm sorry. I mean, I talked to the I talked to the guy who made the belt. There you go. I asked because yeah. I had some questions about the belt. <laughs> I'm so sick of this belt shit. Fucking at this point, 
I understand this is all Naito's fault. He started it with the double titles. Just fucking fire all these belts. Just pick a belt and fire the rest of them in the fucking sun. Like, enough. I don't even care anymore. Like, yes, the heavyweight still looks better, but Jesus, it's so fucking stupid. Just pick a belt and fucking get rid of the rest of them and never bring them back. This this could be a means to an end where we are going to end this whole thing with one belt. I think that's the most yeah. likely outcome. Until next year when we need another disputed reason to have to, to uh, fucking, like you said, Naito will win the G1 and bring out the IC belt to represent his uh, G1 win. And then somebody will show up with a fake IC belt. And <laughs> I don't, like, so fu- it's all so fucking stupid. All right. Uh, match number six was Juice Robinson against Moose. Uh, Moose defeated him in 1451 with the Lights Out Spear. Gonna try to speed things up a bit here because we're almost two hours in, I feel like. Um, although I don't even know how long we're in anymore because we've had so many no idea. Uh, disruptions. Uh, this was a good match. I don't have a lot of strong thoughts on it anyway, to be honest. Uh, they work pretty well together. I don't really love either guy, especially at this point in their careers. Uh, Moose won it with his spear. Uh, the live crowd did seem to be a lot more into it than I was, so you know maybe this was better than I give him credit for. But I went three and a quarter. thought it was pretty good, but not much more than that. I half expected juice robinson to win this match to set up a championship program with moose in impact Mm -hmm. but that didn't happen um yeah it was fine i i don't know what it was kind of one of those like i'm not really sure what the point of this is but the second post-match angle i guess yeah i guess i mean i guess that was that was it because it didn't it didn't set anything up for impact now the after the match i will say so jonah rock comes out Okay, he's the former Bronson Reed in NXT. Um, he comes out as Moose is celebrating his win. I didn't like this angle. I'm going to give you a very uh, specific reason. So he comes out and teases he's going to attack Moose. And then it turns out to be, ah, he's a heel. He attacks Juice. The problem with that angle is the entire time he's coming out, I'm thinking, why, if he's going to feud with the Impact World Champion, why would they not film that on Impact? Like, the entire time I'm thinking, like, this has to be, like, a fucking swerve or something, because if he's going to feud with Moose, they would just fucking feud an Impact. They wouldn't have, like, Impact would not shoot an angle for their world champion to face a debuting wrestler in New Japan. It doesn't make any sense. So I'm thinking, okay, he's going to turn on Juice and lay him out instead. And that's what he does, of course. After a long tease, he finally attacks Juice with the big senton. Because, of course, he's going to attack a New Japan guy on the New Japan show, not the Impact world champion. Uh, I will say the crack camera crew here nearly misses it. Uh, they only get to the very end of uh, Jonah Rock a- attacking him with the senton because they were filming Moose up the rampway still. Um, Finley comes out to try and save Juice, also gets destroyed by Jonah. So all the stuff with uh, with Jonah looked look good. I mean, he looked like a big monster, but just the the actual, like, you know, like, oh, is, is he going to fight Moose? Tease. Like, I just, like, that doesn't, doesn't make any logical sense that they would do that. So it was a very weird angle in that respect. Yeah. It's good to see that new Japan is still acquiring talent though. So I think that'll yeah. be, I think he's a and good he, fit. He clearly wanted to go there. I mean, you see all the right. and stuff. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious to see what he does when he's done with juice and David Finley. Uh, match number five. This was the highlight of the show to me at least. Uh, Will Ospreay beat Ren Narita in 1543 with the hidden blade. Uh, I will say San Jose was like a lot more negative on Osprey than the Philly crowd I was a part of, famously. Uh, although he he does still have his supporters still, though. Um, I, I feel like there may have been 
I, there were some fans like this in Philly too, who I think decided to consciously not make any noise for Osprey. Like they don't like him, but they don't want to boo him. So because like this real issue they have with him, they, they don't want to express his wrestling boos, right? Because that technically helps the heel, right? And I feel like San Jose, just looking at the crowd during the match, a lot of people just sitting there, not making any noise. I think they may have also decided to do that, like even more than, than in Philly. Because, you know, this match weirdly had like less heat than some of the undercard matches beforehand, which you would not expect necessarily for, uh, you know, Osprey and Narita here. Um, Osprey kicked the crap out of him for a bit. Then he did the Shibata pose to mock him. Uh, there was a cool spot where Narita, he dived, or he he basically, uh, you know, he he got out of the way of an Osprey, died to the outside. Osprey landed on his feet, but then immediately took a big overhead belly to belly from Narita on the floor. And then he get, he got him in a scorpion death lock. That was kind of cool. Uh, and they set it up really well with Osprey missing a 450 and like hurting his knees. And then Narita like does a great job fighting his way into it with these like big slaps. Again, very Shibata style to set it up. Uh, Will struggled and then eventually made the ropes. Just a really great sequence there. Uh, so Narita, he puts up a good fight here. Even, even kicks out of the Oz cutter, but then finally gets put away by the hidden blade from Osprey which he uses as like his secondary finisher when uh, you know he doesn't use the Stormbreaker. But yeah, this is pretty awesome. Easily match of the night. I went four stars flat on it. Uh, I thought this was an awesome match. Yeah, I agree. I think Narita looked awesome. Osprey gave him a lot. Um, but this was, I mean, this was, I don't know. It's Narita heavyweight when he comes back. Is that where? Like, that seems to be where they're going. Okay, because... He should be, especially after this match, seeing him kind of with the growth against Osprey, you know, compared to their best Super Juniors match. So, um, yeah, it was it was really, really, really good. Um, and I think, you know, I, I want to see Ren Narita back in Japan soon, though. So because um, right now he's at this weird middle ground in, in the U.S. So and I think he's going to be he that that roster could use that talent. I don't know why, what reason there would be that Narita can't go back. So, um, yeah, loved it. My, my favorite match of this show as well. So, um, I think worth seeking out if you want to get to know Ren Narita and, and kind of where Osprey's at right now. Uh, but yeah, so the after, you know, I, I kind of thought like, like you were like, kind of like you were saying, Ren Narita, he just looks ready to go back to Japan right now. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't know when they're going to bring him back, but he, he looks more than ready. And, like, him bringing that, like, Shibata style, you know, I think is something that the New Japan roster could really use in Japan anyway, so. Yeah, absolutely. Match number four, we had the team of Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors beating uh, Jeff Cobb and TJP from the United Empire. Uh, Carl pinned TJP in 10 minutes, exactly 10 minutes, with the inside cradle. Uh, pretty standard tag match. Not much stood out to me here. Uh, I thought it was fine. Finish was very old school. Clark Connors turned the inside cradle over uh, to give Fredericks the pin on TJP. So surprising upset. But uh, other than that, you know, I, I, actually, I don't know if I should call it a surprising upset because TJP is a junior and Carl, I guess, is a heavyweight and no longer a young lion. But it still felt like an upset that they won this match. So uh, just especially with Cobb on the other side. But yeah, I thought this was just fine. I went three stars. You know, nothing wrong with it, but not much that stood out to me here. Yeah, I think this felt like an upset because they've booked 
United Empire really, really strong in yeah. Japan. Um, Jeff Cobb included, but I think when you add in their other members now into the mix, especially TJP, I think, you know, I, I don't think TJP is quite like lost post worthy, but cause he's going to be the only junior for now at least. But, um, yeah, I was surprised to see Fredericks and Connors get the win. Um, but I think maybe that's more indicative of, of what we see, uh, from United Empire when TJP is involved. Uh, match number three was the 10 man tag. Uh, the team of Fred Rosser, David Finley, Rocky Romero, Alex Coughlin, and Alex Zane defeated the Team Filthy, uh, Tom Lawler, J.R. Kratos, uh, Danny Limelight, Royce Isaacs, and Jarrell Nelson. Uh, Rosser pinned Isaacs in 15 12 with the gut feeling. Uh, Team Filthy, they really do great work with the heel stable. I mean, you got these idiots dancing around including Tom Lawler himself, who you still know could kill a man if you wanted to, but he's like dancing around. And then you have this giant J.R. Kratos just staying there menacingly like, I, I am a very large man, and I know these <laughs> men are goofs, but they are my goofs. I am ready to kill anybody who messes with them. It's a great dynamic. A classic heel dynamic. Uh, Rosser gave Tom Lawler a backdrop suplex on the apron pretty yeah. much right from the start. Uh, that was really cool. And I broke down to a total wild brawl with everybody at ringside. Uh, and this is your very typical, like, strong multi-man tag. Everybody worked hard. Everybody got at least one big signature spot. We got a fun dive from Rocky. And after teasing it on many shows leading up to this, uh, J.R. Kratos yes. finally does a dive to the outside. <laughs> that was awesome. That was wild. Uh, yeah. Really wild spot. Uh, Coglin actually manages to deadlift gut run suplex Kratos. Oh. Also very impressive. And Rosser ends up escaping a double team from Lawler and Isaacs and then pins, pins Isaac with his power slam. A uh, lot of fun here. I went easy three and a half stars here. Definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, this was so fun. I, I had a great time and that Kratos spot was incredible. Um, just he and he didn't look that terrible doing it. Um, he didn't look great, but, you know, but yeah, I had a great time with this one. Um Love Team Filthy. I think that's a great act. And I think that that's an act that could get over if you didn't get overseas. You know, like that's an act that people would really, I think, appreciate too. So, um, yeah, good, good fun time. Uh, match number two. This was the unfortunate injury match. Uh, Bateman, all caps. I did not realize he was an all caps guy until I saw it here. It's an it's all caps, caps guy. Bateman. Bateman and Mysterioso, the Stray Dog Army, uh, they defeated the team of Violence Unlimited, Brody King and Chris Dickinson. Uh, Bateman ends up rolling up Dickinson after the injury in 10.08. Before we get to the injury, I do want to say, I sort of like Bateman. I don't know what it is. Like, I saw him and the other Stray Dog Army members at, uh, at the Strong Taping I went to, obviously, in Philly a few weeks back. And, like, Bateman has, like, that weird like indie heel charisma where like you can tell there's something about this dude. Like he just kind of draws you in, even though he doesn't do anything like super impressive in the ring, especially like he, he comes off like a guy who should be leading his own like mid card heel stable. And that's the best way to put it. Like he, he works for me in that role. So mm-hmm. uh, I do like him in that spot. Uh, and they still announce him as being from ring of honor, despite the fact that uh ring of honor just released their entire roster. So there you go. <laughs> well, yeah, it takes time to change things in, in New Japan. <laughs> uh, the announcing at one point suddenly died during this match. That was jarring. 
Yeah. Uh, it did come back pretty quickly, though. Um, so a late This Is Awesome chant broke out. I don't know if this was awesome, but it was pretty good. But unfortunately, it ended with Dickinson seemingly hurting himself on the frog splash off the top, which we now know he, well, he tore, tore something, right? I don't know what it was. He basically broke his hip, I think. Oh, what it, okay. What it said. It was all, it's, it's, I mean, it's all hip related. He's going to be out six months, I think. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Uh, so that really sucks for him, obviously. And it sucks for all of us because I think Chris Dickinson is great. Um, but yeah, so Bateman just kind of pins him off camera while the other two are fighting on the outside. Uh, I had to take it down a little bit for the finish. So I went three stars on this. It was fine. Sucks to see someone like Chris Dickinson go down. Yeah. Um, and they they were clearly trying to scramble to figure out if he could, I don't know, put together some sort of finish and then they just had to go for the pin. So, yeah, a, a shame because this was actually a really fun tag match uh, leading up to it. And I think there was probably four or five minutes left and, and a big finishing sequence. So, um, yeah, sucks to see it happen. Um, but as soon as he hit the mat, he was very clear that he was hurt. So, um, I mean, that's got to be a terrible, terrible amount of pain to be in. So, but I think he'll uh, he'll come back. I you know I, I I think what I hope is that he comes back in the next place that he shows up for New Japan is in Japan um, because I think he could he could play a, a certain role with the native roster too. And the opener was uh, uh, Josh Alexander defeating Yuya Uemura in eleven forty four at the ankle lock. Uh, this was good, you know. This was like. The announcer spent a lot of the early portions of this match talking about Moose apparently cashing in some quote-unquote opportunity to win the Impact World title from Joss Alexander after he beat Christian Cage for the belt. As a non-Impact viewer, I honestly just felt like I was uh, that that Stephen A. Smith like clip come to life where he's like just look at the camera and he goes, we don't care. You know, let me just tell you, we don't care. Like That's how I felt watching this. It's like I could not give less of a fuck what ha- is happening with Josh Alexander and Impact. And they went on and on about it. Kevin Kelly and uh, God and Kozlov. <laughs> the guy. Thank you. Alex Kozlov. Uh, I was going to say the guy. Kevin Kelly and Alex Kozlov. They went on forever about this fucking Impact world title change. And I'm just like, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I don't watch Impact. I probably will never watch Impact again for the rest of my life. I don't care what the fuck has been going on with this man impact. Like you could, I understand telling me like really briefly, but they went on and on and on. I'm just like, why are we, why are we going into such detail on this man's impact wrestling happenings? Like I just could not give less of a shit. So a little bit of feedback there for you, Kevin Kelly, if you haven't listened, talk less about impact. Maybe you had to talk about it to get him on the show, but it was very like, it was a little too long. Uh, match itself. Very good back and forth match. Uh, you know, the crowd seemed into it too. And you could tell this is like a uh, a pretty hardcore wrestling crowd when they're popping huge for Yuya Urimura getting this man a cross arm breaker. Yuya, <laughs> like a, Yuya is a special man, okay? Yeah. People people really like him. But I'm just saying, like, there's not that many crowds that pop for arm bars. And this was a challenge sure, sure. that pop for an arm bar. Uh, and I do think, like you said, part of that is Yuya too. But uh, Josh eventually gets the ankle lock on him for the win. Uh, fun opener here. I went three and a half, and yeah, Yuya. I mean, they have two two wrestlers here who look like they're, you know, special talents here in Yuya and uh, Red Narita. So yeah, whatever they got going here in the LA Dojo, it's clearly working well. Yeah, I mean, I love I like both these guys a lot. 
Um, I think Josh Alexander has huge, huge upside. He's and he's he's starting to get some traction. So I'm I'm curious to see where he lands. And Yuya, Yuya is my guy. I mean, I love love to see him wrestle. Love to see him in these spots with with interesting singles wrestlers. And you know, who knows what the what the long term storyline is there for for Yuya. But I think he's I think the people that need to know it at New Japan that he's a star. I think they I think they can see it. So um yeah fun opener love you know love a good singles opener so um yeah had a good time um so there you go folks there's your battle in the valley again you know there's some stuff on here that was fine uh some stuff that was great there's really nothing bad on the show uh just it didn't peak quite as high as i thought it would uh so that's that maybe the my one complaint but i definitely think it was not as good as resurgence and they gotta get those fucking uh, production stuff, you know, going. But other than that, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I think <laughs> it was a it was a good show. I think this is pretty indicative of what you could expect for these kind of tentpole New Japan USA shows. Yeah. So, any other final thoughts you want to share before you get out of here? Finally, I think it's been like two and a half hours. So <laughs> it's been a minute. Yeah. Um, good luck editing this podcast together. <laughs> Um, I yeah, I guess I'll do plugs. I am the Chris Sampson on Twitter, and you can find my work at sportofprowrestling.com. Um, but yeah, no, love love to do the AEW and JPW combo <laughs> shows, which seem to be frequent. Um, yeah. they well, whenever they do a whenever AEW does a pay per view, New Japan does a show, so it works yeah, out. yeah. So. so, but I wonder if that's there's something to that. Nothing, not nefarious, but just like you know, obviously. There's well, this, a pa- there's a, a storyline pacing that seems to be similar, maybe. Yeah. So. Uh, so there you go. All right, folks. Um, that'll do it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank you all for listening. I'm, I'm like so used to plugging the Patreon. I'm like getting ready to plug the Patreon, but like wait a second, I'm not doing that right now. Uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase, Wrestling When I'm Fit. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, actually, less than two weeks, I think. Probably around like uh, I think I'm going to try to record the next one around Black Friday. Um, but yeah, I think so. For the rest of the year, like I said earlier, probably no year interview stuff. I think I'm going to like do. I have three ideas for uh, retro roulette episodes, and those are like my favorite episodes to do right now. There's not a lot of big shows coming up between now and the end of the year, so that kind of makes sense. I think for me, uh, I hope you like those episodes because I love doing them. Uh, and this way I have a WWE one, I have a WCW one, and I have a Japanese wrestling one. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to give them all away. You can probably guess them if you think of the time of year and what shows happened. But, uh, you know, we'll get back to that up next with uh, another Retro Roulette episode. So look forward to that uh, when it's back on your podcast feeds. Until then, I want to thank you as always for listening, and I will see you next time. <laughs>